Good evening, everyone. Sorry for the slight delay, but that's what happens when you lock everything in your car. Um, the public safety meeting is now called to order. Today is Monday, November the 13th. We begin to acknowledge that the land on which we gather that is currently known as the city of West Hollywood is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrielino Tungva and Gabrielino Kritz people. Um, Pledge of Allegiance, and who said they were gonna leave the place this evening? Ah, thank you, Commissioner. Please everyone stand and put your hand over your heart. Commission Secretary, may I please get a roll call? Commissioner Blau? Aye. Commissioner Ramian? Present. Commissioner Freiberg? Here. Commissioner Harrison? Here. Commissioner Nickel? Here. Vice Chair Saltzman? Here. Chair Hallman? Here. We have a quorum. Great, thank you. Um, approval of the agenda. Uh, item four is the approval of the agenda for tonight's meeting, November 13th. Uh, any changes? Do I have a motion to approve? Move we approve the agenda. And do I have a second? Second. Great, thank you. Can I get another roll call, Commission Secretary? Commissioner Blau? Aye. Commissioner Ramian? Present. Commissioner Freiberg? Aye. Commissioner Harrison? Aye. Commissioner Nickel? Aye. Vice Chair Saltzman? Aye. Chair Hallman? Aye. The agenda is approved. Great, thank you, Commission Secretary. Uh, next item, item five, is the agenda or the approval of the agenda, or the minutes, rather, from our last meeting on October 9th. Um, are there any changes, or do I have a motion to approve? Motion to approve. And do okay. we Great, thank you. And another roll call, Commission Secretary? Commissioner Blau? Aye. Commissioner Ramian? Aye. Commissioner Freiberg? Aye, but I wasn't here. Commissioner Harrison? Aye. Commissioner Nickel? Aye. Vice Chair Saltzman? Aye. Chair Hallman? Aye. The minutes are approved. Great, thank you. Um, item seven on our agenda, or item six rather, is public comments. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments in chambers? Yes, we have one public comment in chambers. Rick Watts, if you want to approach the podium, you'll have three minutes to speak. Thank you, Chair, members of the Commission. Um, I, I guess kind of the, the item that I probably it would uh, best fit, what I've got to say is best fit under uh, would be mitigation of the city's local hazard and uh, specifically regarding uh, abandoned uh, properties. Um, Specifically, the one that I'm thinking of is at 1280 North Sweetser Avenue. I've spoken with uh, uh, Director of Public Safety, uh, Danny Rivas, uh, several times about this, and as well as to, to Council on previous pu uh, public comment. And uh, Danny has done his level best to, uh, to help with this property, but the, the, and, and the city is engaged in litigation, and the, uh, the property has uh, been finally assigned to a, uh, uh, a receiver, but 
the hazard surrounding the property as far as an extreme fire hazard as well as a public nuisance remain. And so I'm going to ask you all uh, to please uh, recommend to Council that all assistance uh, possible be given to Danny in, uh, uh, in pushing to get this, uh, uh, this property put to bed as far as the, the hazards. It is uh, an abandoned house at 1280 North Sweetser Avenue that, uh, uh, that has been vacant for years. And uh, the, the property owner lives overseas, is not taking care of the property, he's already lost the lawsuit, but uh, there, is, there are dead trees, dead brush. Uh, there have already been at least two fires that I'm aware of that have been associated with the property, uh, one of which was an arson. Um, and lots of uh, uh, homeless and other uh, riffraff uh, that, that have gone in and out of the building, uh, either camping out or engaging in illegal activity, uh, not to mention the trespassing part of it uh, over the years. Uh, as recently as about two weeks ago, uh, back at the end of October, and, uh, and it goes on. Um, and uh, the property has frequently been unsecured, um, and although the, the, uh, the property owner was, was under order to, uh, uh, to keep the place uh, under 24-hour guard, um, th that has not happened for months. He's, uh, the owner has long since burned through the $150,000 bond that he was forced to post. And so I'm going to ask that uh, you recommend to Council to provide Danny with the uh, resources for the city to post a guard and to clean up the property until the receiver can do uh, and the court uh, can uh, make happen what needs to happen to cure this public nuisance, this extreme fire hazard, as, and notice what happened down under the freeway the other day, uh, that has caused an enormous amount of damage and inconvenience uh, and cost to the public uh, infrastructure. And this could just as easily have happened with a, a wildfire running down to Santa Monica Boulevard if that caught fire in the middle of Santa Ana winds in the middle of the night. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Secretary, any additional comments in chambers? We don't have any additional comments in chambers. And do we have any comments on Zoom? We have no Zoom comments. Okay, great. Thank you. So moving on on the agenda, uh, item 7A, uh, the Los Angeles County Fire Department will now provide us um, with a monthly report for October 2023. Good evening, gentlemen. All right. Well, good evening, and uh, this is uh, Battalion Chief Jeff Swingle. He's the C-Shift uh, Battalion Commander here in West Hollywood, so I want to give him some exposure how awesome you guys are. Um, with October, uh, just wanted to say thank you for your support and everything we did uh, and you've done for us. Uh, we'll talk about um, Carnival here shortly, but just by looking at uh, what we saw in October, um, total of 15 fires. Two of those were structure fires, one at the 7300 block of Santa Monica Boulevard and one structure fire at the 1000 block of Martell. Both very small in nature. Uh, your firefighters took quick action. They're both related to electrical issues and malfunction within the home. Um, however, the rest um, of the 13 we had were rubbish fires or outdoor type fires. 
and to um, answer Commissioner Nichols' uh, request based upon the hotspot at Fairfax and Fountain. So yes, that is a hotspot for us uh, at this point in time. So over the course of the close to four years I've been here now, it seems like it's a moving target with outdoor fires. So there's a significant amount of them in West Hollywood, but this happens to be uh, the hot spot right now for where your firefighters are going with these outdoor um, fires in nature. So as I've talked before, all fires start out small. All of them have different set of challenges and pose vulnerabilities to wherever they start. And so um, we're always looking at different areas of where we can have a heightened awareness for these. So your firefighters are out 20 to 22 times a day on medical responses, plus doing their fire prevention. They also are presence in the neighborhood. So uh, we have quick looks at stuff and they do go by to be proactive, not being on a response, but just knowing the area. So that uh, hopefully is a deterrent and can lead to quick action. So I just wanted to bring that up and we can, uh, if we have any follow-up on that, Commissioner Nickel, we can, we can talk about that. <clears throat> as far as our medical runs, we have 453 patients we've seen. Um, 103 were advi uh, needed advanced life support, 215 a basic life support. We transported 318 um, patients and just looking at some categories just for some perspective on the um, patients that we do see, which it could be anything. However, we had 65 and says categorizes major injuries. So not all major injuries are these major type of injuries. They could be some sort of a trauma to be categorized as a major injury. So major injury is pretty wide range of what major can be, but this major is gonna need some sort of advanced life support intervention. So um, the other um, high statistical components we saw was uh, person sick and uh, unconscious, which is routine for the area for, for West Hollywood. We had zero hazmat calls. We had three hazardous condition calls. We had 23 service calls. And uh, with our good intent calls, 179. And I think I believe I brought this up last time, is I like good intent calls. And once again, I see that everybody's here now. So the reason I like good intent call, that means people are being observant and they're calling 911 for us to go and assess the situation. So that is what I like to see. So your firefighters can evaluate uh, what the necessary or appropriate response or intervention needs to be. <laughs> Talking to Carnival, it was a success for us. We're in unified command with our West Hollywood Sheriff's Department, and we have a great working relationship as well, uh, as you know, with them. And just some highlights on that. We had a total of 45 responses um, that your firefighters um, handled. We had six of those that were outside the footprint of Carnival, and 39 that were in the footprint of Carnival. And we transported three patients to Cedars. And with that, the med tent is a huge success uh, to give that assessment of what is sick, not sick, critical, not critical. So that is a huge benefit 
um, so we can have resources available uh, to meet a higher need for medical calls. And um, within the med tent, we also had quite a people that decided to not be transported to the hospital. There is uh, against medical advice, so we suggested they went. We had quite a few patients that known, so they went home with a friend. We even had some which we call eloped, meaning they walked away, and uh, or somebody that was taken by another person that was there. And with that, just going into the holidays, just slow down, safe practice in the home when cooking. We start getting an uptake in unattended cooking type of emergency, smoke coming from buildings. People set the oven, have a uh, lapse in judgment, maybe you could say. They go away, they think it's going to be quick, you come back, we have food on the stove or something, so just be mindful of <coughs> your time management when people are cooking within the home so it doesn't lead to something else. And last but not least is we had daylight savings, and that's a good time to swap out your batteries and your smoke detectors. Daylight savings is a good time. Mm -hmm. Any questions for us? Um, commissioners, any questions? Um, yes. Go ahead. Um, good evening. And <clears throat> just one quick question. Uh, you said within the footprint of Carnival, um, the fire department had 39 uh, patients. Do you know what those 39 calls were for? Can you break that down off the top? Like, No, I can't. Uh, I know that um, 911 call was generated. And um, within Carnival, we didn't use fire station seven, uh, sevens and eights resources. We had a component that just focused on that. So it could have been that we witnessed somebody, somebody flagged us down, so we made contact with that many patients, but most of them um, were that uh, they partied a little too hard. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any significant trauma patients or anything like that that was notable. Uh, commissioners, any other questions? Let's go ahead, Commissioner Vaughn. Thank you. Um, uh, around, the, around the topic of ensuring that our homes are safe right now, um, do you have any good references that renters or even kind of small business or small, small landlords might have to reference to ensure that their buildings are up to fire code standard? Um, as an example, I live in an apartment building, and you know I'm I'm semi-familiar with some fire codes, um, and I noticed that uh, my building was out of fire code by having you know lit marked egress doors locked and unable to go through. I actually ended up getting trapped and I couldn't get out. <laughs> um, but around that line, is there is there other references that kind of maybe maybe not just even around like fire exits, but you know. Um, changing, changing smoke alarms or any other kinds of references that um, you can point to to help out just the community to maintain safety? So any of the clarification you may need on the fire code, which is uh, very uh, complex, fire prevention or your jurisdictional station can go out and do those type of walkthroughs. So it is our job if we're on a response and we're at a building and if we see something we get a hold of the property management company get a home of the building or or 
or the uh, tenant to get that information because there's things that need to be addressed. So when you say blocked exits or no panic hardware, that is something that we need to address. And so two different folds for that. You can contact your jurisdictional station and they'll go out there. You can call the battalion chief and he'll make sure that somebody goes out there. Or we can call fire prevention. We can talk to Danny because he knows how to get a hold of us. And we can go and I talk to Danny quite a bit when we have those type of issues and we go out and we will see what is um, um, important for the life safety mission and, and to be in compliance with the fire code. That's a great question. So plenty of good resources out there, but start with your jurisdictional fire station or if you need to get a hold of Danny, they can get a hold of us to address any of those issues. Okay, and so like any anyone in the public, how would they get in contact with the jurisdictional fire um, department? They, they can in Google an non-emergency. Yeah, standpoint. they can. Yeah, uh, they can call the fire station direct. They can stop by. Okay. Um, so that's so we know that the city of West Hollywood is very community-based and oriented. They all know. Fire Station 7, Fire Station 8, they see us on so, so they can go in and say, I have a concern, okay. and we'll go look at it. Great. That's what we do. And if it's something that's outside of what the jurisdictional station can do, that's when our fire prevention uh, division gets in. It's when the jurisdictional battalion chief steps in or I step in, or even Danny. And Commissioner Blau, I'll also just mention that uh, our code enforcement uh, staff uh, do perform um, habitability type of inspections. Um, that is a, a huge purview of, of, of theirs. And so um, the community um, can certainly contact our code enforcement um, division. Um, that number is available in their contact information on the city's website. Um, and then you can go to the search engine, just type in code enforcement. It has the hours of operation, um, but I'll just mention it here. So 323-848-6516 is the code enforcement message line. Um, folks can also contact uh, code enforcement at code, C-O-D-E at weho.org. Um, and then in addition to that, we do have in a city's official app uh, that folks can go on the city's website, right? And they can download on their smartphone. Um, and they can submit a, a request that way as well. Um, and so uh, what uh, Assistant uh, Chief um, uh, Smith had mentioned, um, our code enforcement staff, and then sometimes we'll bring in even our building inspection staff, um, as well as fire prevention, you know, if there are habitability issues, ingress, egress, um, if they're wanting to, you know, get clarification on something, they certainly will work very closely with the local fire station. Great. Okay, that's that's super helpful. I didn't know our code enforcement would be able to do that as well. So yeah, that's, it's that's a, a great, good resource. So thank you. Uh, team effort. Believe me, we we um, do a lot together. So it's it's really good working relationship. Great. Thank you. You bet. Uh, Commissioner Nickel. Thank you, Chair. Assistant Fire Chief Smith. Uh, good to see you. Good to uh, see you, sir. Battalion Chief. Thanks for joining us. Um, so yeah, thank you for following up on the. Um, the two that stuck out to me were the rubbish fires that both happened the same day mm -hmm. on the 7th of October there at Fountain and Fairfax. And the reason why I brought it up is because I know that, that there's an abandoned building there. It's um, on the northwest corner. corner. And uh, when I did a ride along months ago with Station 7, they were called out. They had been called out repeatedly. So it was there again, yes? The same issue. Correct. And once again, as you know, um, when we're out, we will target those areas and we'll drive by there just to maintain that presence. Yeah. Um, for we know that there's areas that uh, need uh, some oversight, if you will, 
or maybe a deterrent from us just driving by. And also working with our um, sheriff's partners, they're aware of it too, so they know where those hotspots we have, uh, those conversations that I have with Captain Mulder and uh, uh, Lieutenant Lapkin on those type of issues. So there's that awareness with your law partners and fire partners. Yeah, well, I, it, it continues to be a problem, so I don't know if there's something more that code enforcement can do. I mean, I know that when I was there, the owner of the property came out, and um, I mean, abandoned buildings are, are certainly a problem, as, as Mr. Watts said as well. Yeah, and so uh, Commissioner Nickel, because code enforcement does have a case uh, open on that property. Um, it is something that they work very closely with um, our West Hollywood Sheriff Station on, so Lieutenant Lapkin as team, um, so they try to patrol as often as they can, um, and so they are working with the property owner. Um, there were some obstacles and some hurdles with the development of the property, obviously, and that's not no fault of, of the public, and so staff will continue to prioritize that uh, particular case. I unfortunately can't get into the details of the investigation and where it's at, but I will uh, let you know that staff is certainly aware of it, and they'll continue their efforts on that. Good. It's good to know. Thank you. Sure. And then I just wanted to mention, I noticed that the, uh, the light at Station 8, the stoplight, finally seems like it's gone up, is getting ready to become active. That is correct. So we're just waiting for the switch to get flipped, however that looks. So we're close. And I know we had some significant delays because of manufacturing parts and import and all kinds of stuff. So thank you to West Holland and Danny for all the support for keeping the ball moving forward. So thank you very much. It's going to really, really benefit um, our apparatus getting in out of Station 8. It's going to be a huge, huge safety um, relief for us to provide some of that extra safety you need to get in all that equipment in Station 8. So Great. thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I have a question. The Ralphs at Fountain and La Brea, mm -hmm. on the Detroit side, the back of the building, uh, is an emergency evacuation uh, stairwell. Mm -hmm. And I believe a few weeks ago there was a fire in the stairwell, um, does your report reflect that fire? Because I'm curious to know what happened. It seems to be um, an area that is frequented um, by transient individuals and it's been an ongoing problem. Mm -hmm. I don't have any specifics on that fire. I know that um, it was small in nature, okay. um, but if it was a larger fire, we'd all know about it, of course, if it impacted the Ralphs. Um, but that, in there, there's a lot of that, and I'm just telling you, it's a moving target with um, the transient population and how fires start. They go together, they really do. And so we know that that's a lot of the focus here because we have that issue. and. Our job is to make sure that we keep the fires small and then we'll investigate how they started through our arson investigation unit within the department. Okay, thank you. You bet. Uh, I was gonna ask, are there any public questions for this item? Yes, we have one public comment, Rick Rotz. 
Great, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, yes, just one further thing I wanted to uh, add regarding 1280 Sweetser um, with respect to fire hazard. Uh, in addition to all the brush and so forth. Um, when uh, a neighbor and I were over at that property, we had watched a couple of transients go in and out of the property. When we were leaving the front yard, we found a, uh, a, a gas can, still with gasoline in it, uh, stuffed in the brush there. Uh, we, we didn't leave it, in fact, I, I took it uh, the, uh, and was recommended and followed through on uh, taking it over to uh, uh, one of the fire stations that went over on uh, uh, San Vicente and, and uh, delivered to, to uh, handed it off to one of your colleagues. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it just further underlines the, uh, uh, the continuing hazard that that property represents. And again, I just want to, in light of what happened over the weekend under the freeway downtown, uh, with another Scofflaw business owner there that was in violation of their agreement with Caltrans, um, that uh, this property remain, uh, continues to be a property and a problem property. And if, and if something like this or a, a, a second arson fire occurs at that property or an accidental fire, such as the warming fire that took place a year ago, February, happens in the middle of the night when there are 40, 50 mile an hour Santa Ana winds howling through there. It's going to be picking off embers and touch, throwing them onto the roofs of apartment buildings all the way down the block and touching off spot fires. And there's, you know, apologies aren't going to do any good at that point, particularly if people are, are harmed or killed or put out of their homes as a result of the fires that could, uh, could then occur. And you could end up with a, like a block sized fire coming out of that. So. Please give Danny whatever he needs to or recommend a council give to Danny whatever he needs to get this taken care of. Thank you. Commission Secretary, any additional public comments? We don't have any additional comments. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, we probably won't see you until after Thanksgiving, so have a wonderful holiday. You too, and thank you for the support. Yeah, Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, our next agenda item 7B, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department will now provide a report on activity for the month of October. Good evening. Good evening. So um, you may have noticed that there was a difference in um, how we provide our data to you. Um, we, we went off of some of the feedback that you've had in previous meetings, and we tried to break down that data a little bit more, have a, a better understanding for categories, things like that. So the, the, the data that you guys are getting uh, for this meeting, for this agenda packet, um, it, obviously it looks a little bit different. There's more information in there about other topics, other areas. And again, we, we did that in response to some of the inquiries that you had from us and, and trying to get more information to you. So moving forward, that's probably how it's going to continue to look. Um, we can probably make some changes if, if um, items or things come up. Um, but with that data, what we're going to do now with our report is um, just give you some basics uh, from that data and then highlight some of the, the incidents from the month. Um, so from, from October, we had... 1,792 calls for service for the station. 
there was 47 arrests for felonies and 80 for misdemeanors. Uh, there was 237 part one crimes in West Hollywood for the city uh, for the month of October. Uh, we just wanted to remind people that our theft numbers are up um, based on uh, a lot of pickpocketing, uh, vehicle burglaries. Uh, we ask people to continue to be vigilant when they're at uh, entertainment menus such as bars and clubs. Be aware where your property's at. We, we do have that pickpocketing issue still uh, arising quite a bit in our Rainbow District. Uh, vehicle burglaries, uh, we remind people if you're going to be uh, in a shopping district or a retail area, Please don't leave things visible. Um, even if you're in your own parking structure, in your own residence, um, commercial buildings, whatever it is, do not leave items visible. Uh, thieves are opportunistic, and, and that's what they're looking for. Um, so these numbers are kind of the, what's driving our, our theft issues in the city. Uh, for the month of October, our station volunteers donated 247 hours of time. 70.5 uh, of those hours were related to special events within the city. Uh, some of the more uh, notable incidents for the, the month of October. On October 9th, there was an assault with a deadly weapon call um, where a gun was used. We, were, we, we spoke about it last meeting, but just to, to get more detail on it, it was in the 7700 block of Santa Monica Boulevard. There was a patron that was in the location and he was ejected by uh, the staff for causing a disturbance. He then returned with a gun and shot the security guard. Uh, the guard was hospitalized and the suspect was arrested at the scene. On October 15th, in the 7700 block of Norton, there was an unhoused individual that was in a parking garage, and when someone asked that person to leave, the suspect became upset, used a metal pipe to strike that person in the shoulder. Uh, the suspect was located and arrested nearby. Uh, on October 19th, at uh, 4.45 in the evening, a burglary just occurred call uh, was dispatched. Our deputies arrived at the location and located the suspects in a vehicle. The deputies attempted to pull over the vehicle and the suspects fled. Uh, deputies um, pursued the suspects for a short distance. When the suspects entered into a cul-de-sac, the vehicle uh, turned around and was head on with the deputies. The vehicle then rammed the patrol car. The passenger side door of the patrol car struck the deputy that was trying to exit the vehicle at the time. Uh, the deputy at the time was taken uh, to the hospital in serious condition. Uh, the suspects fled the area and were not able to be located at the time. Um, detectives were able to identify who the suspects were and track them down. Uh, several arrests have been made as a result. Um, our deputy has since been released from the hospital and is recovering at home. On October 18th, uh, we concluded this year's session of our community academy. The program went extremely well and received positive feedback from all the participants. Uh, several of our graduates are now in the process of becoming station volunteers. Others have expressed interest in participating um, in the program again next year. Uh, for Halloween, this year's uh, Halloween Carnival was a, a success. Uh, we worked well with the city, the fire department, our emergency operations bureau to conduct a, a safe event with uh, the, the deputies out on patrol. We estimated that there was well over 100,000 uh, people in uh, attendance. Some estimates say up to 200,000. It's, it's really tough to tell how many were there, but uh, best guess, anywhere from 100 to 200,000 people. 
there was very few uh, significant incidents uh, within the floor plan of the event. Uh, we only had four arrests for the entire night. Um, now we'll open up to any questions you guys may have regarding um, October information or our new crime stat um, sheets that we've given you guys. Um, commissioners, any questions? Um, yes. Uh, good evening, uh, Lieutenant and Sergeant. Good to see you guys. Um, first, I want to say great job on Halloween. Um, I think it was a, a, a success. Uh, I'm not aware of any uh, major incidents that occurred. Um, so I want to thank uh, you guys, the entire Sheriff's Department, the Fire Department, um, block by block for keeping all of its visitors uh, of West Hollywood, the employees of West Hollywood, business owners uh, safe during this time. And it was, like I said, it was a fun event and looking forward to, um, to next year's. Um, I also want to discuss, uh, ask one question about a vacant property that keeps coming up that uh, neighbors keep uh, bringing to my attention at 1030 North Sierra Bonita. Um, and the concern of the neighbors who live directly next door to that property is that there's a lot of dry um, rubbish, dry trees, and they're concerned that uh, anyone who goes in there uh, will start a fire that will lead to the neighboring uh, apartment building that houses, I believe, nine units. Um, code compliance has been on the scenes numerous times. The Sheriff's Department have been there numerous times. Um, Station 7 has been there numerous times. Um, what can we do to finally um, mitigate that to where we could have that either housed, um, uh, locked up Danny or something could be done to that property uh, at 1030 North Sierra Bonita um, because it's a, it's a constant, constant daily um, visit either from the Sheriff's Department, code compliance, security ambassadors, or fire. Um, so we'd love to know what can be done about that so I could relay that to, to, uh, to the residents who live next door to that building. Sure, absolutely. Um, and Sergeant Duran and Lieutenant Lapkick can, can add to anything that I mentioned, but um, I can definitely check in. I don't know the status of that um, case or if we do have, in fact, a code enforcement case, but I'm assuming from what you're mentioning, if code enforcement staff have been out there, um, then um, I would assume that there is an active ongoing case. Um, you know, vacant properties at times pose a variety of challenges uh, if a property owner is absentee. Um, if there are, uh, you know, uh, issues that do occur uh, intermittently, um, but if, if time passes um, and if it's just merely kind of a property maintenance related issue, it sounds like maybe there's more going on here. Um, but we'll definitely connect with our code enforcement team uh, and the manager, get staff out there. I'll ask for an update and some background on that. Um, so, but just in general, in terms of how to address these issues, if, if there are calls for service that are being confirmed, um, and so meaning that our West Hollywood Sheriff Station deputies are actually responding, um, they are, you know, apprehending or, or uh, removing somebody from the property, or if there are uh, calls for service as it relates to our fire station, and that's confirmed, uh, where there is maybe a, a fire or rubbish fire, regardless of size, um, then all of that data is very helpful for our code enforcement team because what that allows them to do is pursue um, a variety of different legal options um, for them to address these types of situations. Um, uh, 
there is a lengthy administrative process though um, involved with that. Um, and so that could be anywhere from um, the city pursuing what's called a public nuisance abatement process um, to um, having our city prosecutor's office file a criminal uh, and or civil complaint um, on a property. Um, but these take several months um, of you know, work and, and documentation to showcase because ultimately you're having to go to a court um, and you're having to prove right uh, that uh, the property is in fact nuisance. It's a potential danger to uh, members of the community um, and that we're you know, allowed to um, take action um, you know, from the different things that I mentioned. So I, again, I don't know the status of the case, but I'll definitely follow up with code enforcement, see where they're at and I can follow up with you. Uh, I would appreciate it because ideally I think what the, the, the neighbors want, they want that property boarded up because um, there was another property across the street from that, a 1021 maybe, Sarah Bonita, it's the same developer, um, but they finally um, tore down that property and it's all um, fenced up now. And they used to have a security guard there 24 seven, but since the building has been demolished, there's no reason to have a security guard there. How do we go about maybe having that developer, it's the same developer it was a 1020, one, I believe, to get a security guard there to at least fence it up, board it up, to prevent any access uh, from the unhoused or anyone from the outside going in there. Yeah, so there is a process. Our vacant property ordinance does allow us to, um, uh, you know, uh, order that there be security at, at different uh, times, um, even up to 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, but that threshold is, is difficult to accomplish. And so, as I mentioned, I mean, me not knowing the background, but if there are a lot of confirmed calls for service that we could acquire both from our fire department and from our West Hollywood Sheriff Station, then all of that is uh, helpful information, right, to help justify when the city does uh, make an order. Um, and, you know, many times when we do require security, it's contested, it's appealed. Um, by the property owners, um, and so that goes through a hearing process, and it could even end up in court. So we want to make sure, right, when we do order security, um, that we we have the support, um, you know, uh, to do so uh, from a legal perspective. And so we're uh, consulted with. Um, I am consulted with when it, it comes to that point from our code enforcement manager, um, and then we consult with our city attorney's office as well, just to make sure that we have a strong case, right, in turn of kind of pursuing different elements of that. So we'll definitely look at that. Um, but um, it, it, having security is by far. Um, when you're having a lot of uh, trespassing that's going on, uh, boarding up a property, um, even fencing a property, um, in my professional experience, um, does not prevent folks from accessing a property. It really takes having that security um, there on site um, to act as that deterrent, but there's a pretty uh, difficult threshold to kind of meet in order to do so, but we'll look at that. Thank you. Sure. Um, Commissioner Blau. Thank you. Um, uh, Lieutenant and Sergeant Dron, thank you, um, and as well, thanks to whoever put together this report. Um, as you mentioned previously, it's a lot of manual effort, especially it sounded like in the traffic statistics category, so thank, thank them and thank you as well for um, updating this. I think it'll be very helpful for all kind of moving forward. I do have a question around the traffic statistics section. Um, what is the difference between the total traffic reports versus the items tabulated below? Because the name makes me think that it would be the sum of all of those, but it's not. 
So a traffic report is just a, a traffic collision. So whether it's involved with another vehicle, a property or whatnot, that's just solely a traffic collision report. And then you have the traffic reports with the vehicle versus the pedestrian, and then you have a traffic collision of a vehicle with the bicyclist, and then you have, so that's what, so a standalone traffic report is just vehicles, um, no pedestrians involved, um, no bicyclists involved. So, okay. that's that. Great, thank you. That was okay. super helpful. I, yeah, great. Um, in the, uh, I just wanted to clarify one point as well in here, in the, theft from motor vehicles category. Um, the grand theft of vehicle parts, which is up really high, as you've helpfully shown in the percent change year over year, um, year to date, year over year, uh, that's primarily the catalytic converters, correct? Or are there other vehicle parts that are kind of susceptible to There are, from, from time to time there are other parts, but um, our, our statistics are, are basically catalytic converter theft. Um, that's what was driving it at the beginning of the year. Uh, those numbers have been steady declining throughout the year now. Right. Um, but yeah, the majority catalytic converter uh, thefts, however, there are some other parts that do get stolen from time to time. What, um, do you recall kind of ish what time of year that uh, one of those clinics on etching of the catalytic converters was held? Because obviously I know that there were a couple this year and I'm wondering if that, if there's, um, a, if there's a direct cause and relationship that we're seeing here. We, we've done two this year yeah. um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the last month that we've had it. it it's it been at least three months or, or so now. Okay. Uh, Beverly Hills Police just did one this past month. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does help. It, it is a deterrent in some type of way that may not necessarily completely stop it, but it, it deters. So right. That may be helping those numbers. Right. Great, okay, great, thank you. Um, yeah, and then uh, I've, I've also just noticed in my um, uh, walkings around the city, um, you know, the sheriff deputies uh, doing their proactive uh, traffic monitoring. Um, so I appreciate that and I wanna share that, that thanks uh, as well because I know, uh, I know obviously when they're not getting a call, they're getting lots of calls, but um, the, the traffic incidents, especially as it relates to pedestrians or neighborhood livability is very important as well. So I appreciate um, seeing that as well. So thank you. Um, and that's it, so thank you. Okay, great. Um, we're gonna circle back to Commissioner Ramian. Apologies, he had one additional question. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, one other quick question uh, for the Sheriff's Department. Um, I believe our, the city had installed cameras throughout the city, correct? Like red light cameras and license plate, license plate readers, excuse me. Um, are we gonna see those statistics on our report? How many hits we got from those, uh, the red light cameras or the license plate readers or how many arrests were done? Are we ever gonna see those, uh, that data come to us? It varies because we can get the, the hits, but the hits don't necessarily translate into how many arrests, how many vehicles. That's just the 39, 40 cameras are reading. It's just the, the, the cameras reading, whether it be from stolen vehicles or wanted vehicles. So when we refer to a wanted uh, vehicle as somebody who committed a burglary or robbery, who's whatever agency put on, on their license plate that they're wanted, not necessarily stolen. So the translation into our computer systems. And we're gonna go back to the same thing. Our computer systems um, don't communicate. Um, our flock system, we can get the number of hits, but 
we can tell you the number of hits for uh, for October, whatever they were, but it, I couldn't tell you, um, and we're still trying to collect that data because it, it's not as simple as doing a word search for flock or stolen vehicles. It doesn't happen that way. It's, it's physical labor where we have to look at every, every report that was taken for a stolen vehicle that was recovered and whether or not a flock camera was or an Alpers camera was used for that. And, and it does not always relate to that, but I can tell you from the number of arrests that we've had, and I don't have the numbers now because we're still trying to figure out how we're gonna collect that data, but the cameras have helped. The cameras have helped um, where the deputies get an alert and then they see the vehicle, um, they go look for the vehicle. For example, let's say La Brea. They get, a, they get a hit of the vehicle and it gives a description, it gives a color, it gives all the information what it's wanted for. Then the deputies drive around the area. Um, sometimes it's the car in front of them because they don't necessarily have to use a flock or the Alpers, they can just use the computer uh, in their car and it'll tell them. Um, and even the flock cameras, we still have to verify that through our computer systems. So they can come up on flock, but it's been dropped off on our regular stolen, um, what we call stolen vehicle um, system. So we still have to verify that. But I can tell you that it's definitely helped. I think in the, la in the month of, uh, I mean, last month, I think we had between 68 arrests um, from the use of the flock cameras. So I think we had, um, for all intents and purposes, I think we had 292, 292 hits in October, but again, let's, we have to remember that the hits don't necessarily translate into arrest or recovered vehicles. Um, and then a lot of the time, even if we do go, let's say a deputy is behind um, the, the, the person that's driving that stolen vehicle or that wanted vehicle, um, if we go in pursuit, there's a lot of factors. A lot of the time the deputies are canceling their own pursuits because of safety reasons. Speed, um, traffic, you name it. They are, um, normally it's a watch commander that would uh, cancel a pursuit for unsafe speeds or um, there's certain information that we have to give when we are in pursuit of a stolen vehicle. But um, a lot of the times in the last, in this month at least, I know that the deputies have canceled their own pursuits for speed. So. Even if the deputy is behind um, that stolen vehicle, a lot of the time they'll cancel their pursuit for safety reasons. So, but they are, they have been helping. It's a, it's a great asset to us. Thank you. I'm Commissioner Nickel. Oh. And Chair, I'm sorry, just before Commissioner, I just wanna put, make one point of clarification too. So the city does not have any red light um, cameras. So I know that was mentioned. Um, we do have um, ALPR cameras, automated license plate readers, but um, the, the city no longer has any sort of red light cameras. Thank you, Director Rivas. I'm Commissioner Nickel. Thank you, Chair. Sergeant Duran, Lieutenant Lapkin, good to see you. Thank you for your report. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, at least one instance I know of anti-Semitic graffiti that was on Sunset, on the sidewalk, on a building. Is there anything you can say about that? Are there any suspects? There was no known suspects. Um, when the deputies went there, they checked the location, um, and there is no graffiti that they can find that was um, for that specific one on Sunset. They looked, uh, they checked the area, they contacted the informant, and they could not find the graffiti. So then we wouldn't know if it might possibly be connected to what happened at Cantor's. Same thing. Yeah, don't know. 
Okay, um, and of course, there are increased tensions after Hamas's attack on Israel. Um, I am not asking for any specifics, but just to reassure the residents of our community that our station is aware and doing everything possible to ensure their safety. Absolutely. I mean, even during the times where, uh, uh, from the onset of that, we've increased our footbeats, um, our any Jewish community uh, school, our patrol deputies um, have done um, increased their patrol checks there. They actually have gone to contact the um, the, uh, the management to say, hey, we're here if you need anything. So our footbeats, our patrol checks um, have increased. Um, and we always say, you know, Captain Mulder always says, if you see something, say something. So it, anybody that sees anything, anything suspicious, um, call us and then we go investigate it. But we've definitely increased our number of patrols um, in the synagogues, or not necessarily synagogues, but any Jewish community that um, is within our city. So yes. Great, thank you. Um, and. As far as robberies and burglaries, they're up. Uh, there have been a number that got a little bit of media attention. There was a safe that was stolen at La Boheme. That one was a, uh, it was a, a burglary um, at La Boheme, and there was, a, and unfortunately, they're not the only ones. Um, there is um, potentially a, a, a crew, the same crew that had, was here in 2019, and we think that that's the same crew that's coming down here and that are con they're doing the commercial burglaries. But it's not only West Hollywood, it's LA, it's um, Beverly Hills. So I know that there's been several arrests through Beverly Hills in regards to that. I don't know if those arrests are connected to the ones that uh, unfortunately were, um, Leboen was one of the victims of that. I was actually going to ask about crews because there's also the um, notice that I received and many people received about a woman as part of a Romanian robbery gang. I mean, I know that we have uh, dealings with some South Americans. We have some issues with pickpocketing, but is this is this something new? Is it? Do you think she's the only one, or is it a? Oh no, this crew is known nationwide. Okay. Um, and in, um, they're in California, they're in Washington, they're everywhere nationwide. They're more into the white collar um, type of crimes, identity theft, um, going to stores and, and, and take you know property. It's not um, as, as rampant as the commercial burglaries, the, you know, the grabs and the um, smash and grabs that we've had, mm -hmm. well not us, but in around in the area. But yes, they're, they're known and they've been known for um, quite some time. Um, but these individuals are even looked at by our major crimes. Um, the state and the feds are looking at them as well. But it's a ring that is nationwide, and um, uh, um, we in law enforcement have a map of, of where these crews tend to tend to um, operate. And one of the beauties of law enforcement in general, we all communicate. So there is a crime analyst, which is Brian, who came up with with the um, the new format. Um, he is in contact with all the other crime analysts in our in the West Side and and beyond. So they share intel, they share information. Um, so if a specific um, crime is happening in Beverly Hills, he knows, and then he pushes it out to the deputies. So that's how the communication. So we have a great working relationship. It's not just our local, but just statewide and nationwide with other law enforcement agencies. Right, uh, and I don't suppose she's been apprehended. No. no. Um, Speaking of Beverly Hills, I did want to ask you about, uh, on November 6th, there was um, a murder suspect that was arrested within 30 minutes 
because of the real-time watch center. So I know that, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, we'll be getting to the technology and everything a little bit later, but if we were to have a similar series of cameras and a real-time watch center in West Hollywood, could it be as effective as it obviously is in Beverly Hills, and could it also identify some of the suspects for everything from graffiti to these robberies and burglaries? This is a twofold question. Can it, can it as, um, assist us? Absolutely, because we, uh, we work very well with Beverly Hills and they help us because um, um, our, our, our suspects don't know uh, boundary lines, they don't know, so they come and go from Beverly Hills, LAPD, so in personal opinion, absolutely. Can it help us solve problems? Absolutely. Um, can it capture um, information that the naked eye cannot see as far as um, uh, description of people? Yes. Can it identify by looking at the face recognition? No. I mean, there are systems that we could potentially use, but no. Those, um, uh, the, the cameras that, out, that uh, Beverly Hills has, I mean, they're definitely an asset to them. So uh, anything that can, you know, enhance, you know, a way of um, solving problems, solving crime. Um, there's a lot of times where, just for example, even on, um, without getting into the technologies, like just a drone, we can send a drone out before the deputies get there. Um, if, if a suspect is changing clothing, the drone will catch that information. So there, it, can they be multifaceted use? Absolutely, because we know that it's worked not only for Beverly Hills, but for other agencies. So yes, it will be an asset to us as well. Great, and uh, continuing working with our neighbors, I wanted to ask um, Poinsettia Park, there are issues there again with encampments, which of course is Los Angeles. Mm -hmm but it's just a footstep right across the border, so a lot of West Hollywood residents do ask about it. You, our station coordinates with LAPD. Absolutely. With um, I'm in contact with the SLO um, next door with the, um, um, the lead officer in, uh, it, that handles that area, and we're in constant contact. But unfortunately, you know, uh, the way the city works and the way the county works, it's a, they're different entities but they are working, they've, they've cited numerous people, they've arrested, their narcotics team has gone in there and done you know, several what they call buys. So they're constantly working it, but it's, um, they have different rules on, on how to um, clear the streets. I know that our deputies, the cops team, and then even our just patrol are constantly driving on Poinsettia just to make sure that they don't come on our side. And if they do come on our side, we have an amazing social services system that we offer them services. As you can see from our stats, they don't take any of the services. But we do, um, it's one of our daily checks that, especially the cops team, that's a routine of places where they check to make sure that um, it doesn't impact our area too much, mm -hmm. but we know that it does impact our area. But I know that they're working, the city knows about the issues, we're in constant contact with them, but um, they can only do so much with what resources they have. Understood. Um, and then e-scooters. There were no citations listed. Um, we see them riding on the sidewalks all the time. I don't even know, would that, to do that, would that start a pursuit? I mean, what would that even look at? Why are there no citations for e-scooters? And uh, what would it involve to do that? So why there's no e-scooter citations, I couldn't tell you as to why. Can we concentrate um, doing an operation on e-scooters? Yes, uh, but our traffic units, we're limited to traffic units and I, they have to see the violation in order for it to happen. So let's say you call, there's an e-scooter, by the time we get there, there's no scooter on the sidewalk. 
So, I mean, unfortunately, it's it's a cat and mouse game if we get to that. Um, I mean, there's something that we can, you know, try to see if we can do an operation, if that's um, the will of the city, you know, council would want to do, you know, an operation on that, but we do. I mean, there has been sites, but just not in the month of October. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Um, Commissioner Freiburg. Hi, ma'am. It's very clear, so I thank you for that, and thank you for all you've done for Halloween, um, keeping everybody safe. I mean, I know it's a big venue, and people come from all over the place, but it was I just felt safe the entire time. Um, one thing I did want to talk to you about was the um, Civilian Oversight Commission for LA County Sheriffs, and um, they came out with a report for 2023, um, on their factual findings for deputy gangs and cliques that have existed since the 70s um, in the Sheriff's Department. Um, they reported on decades of egregious conduct, law violations, excessive use of force to not only the public, but their fellow deputies. Um, and this, was, this goes all the way up the chain of command, which I'm sure you know all of this. Um, and then on top of that, they're protected by the LE County Council and uh, certain police associations. Um, but just to name a few, so in case the commission isn't aware that, I mean, just the names, the regulators, the banditos, the executioners, the cowboys, the Vikings, the Spartans, the Reapers, the rattlesnakes, wayside whiteys, and they have their tattoos and gestures and everything else that comes along with it. So I think, um, I don't know if anyone has ever asked you this, if there are any of these members that you are aware of that are in our department. Either, both of you, I'll ask. Personally, no. I mean, I, I don't believe the Sheriff's Department has gangs. Um, it's... Or even just members. Because they also mentioned cliques, too, which is, I don't know if, if you would read the report, but it's like a subgroup, they turn into gangs. So it's kind of how they start. I mean, I can speak for West Hollywood, and I know in West Hollywood we don't have any of that. I, I can't speak for any other stations that I haven't worked for or previous stations that I worked at. I've never seen it, so... Um, I no, mean, I'm just I, concerned with West Hollywood. West Hollywood, so. no. I can guarantee okay. you there's nothing of that sort or any allegation of that sort here. Okay, good to know and good to hear. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about... Um, we had mentioned trying to obtain comments, complaints... Uh, regarding the sheriff's station, and you had come back and said that you weren't allowed to share anything because of the sheriff's bill of rights. And I was wondering if you'd be able to share anything that falls under SB 1421, the Right to Know Act, which would include uh, serious use of force, sexual misconduct, or dishonesty relating to an investigation. Is that something that you'd be able to share with us? So I know I was in a, I'm not sure if you were here for that meeting, but we did, we did present um, those numbers um, all the the complaints. Um, I'm trying to think at the top of my head what other things were on um, the Department of Justice. There's the quarterly report. Mm -hmm. I don't have that information in front of me, but I can resend it to um, Director Rivas on where you can grab that information. It doesn't say specifically for for the sheriff station, but it breaks down. Um, time off, of what they got the time off for. Um, it'll break down all the different um, uh, violations, if you want to say. Um, so there's two different links that you can go to, and I don't have that information in front of me. That'll give you that information. The number of complaints, number of accommodations that were um, 
issued and given here in West Hollywood, but it's on a quarterly basis um, because we won't be able to provide that information on a monthly basis and specifics because of the Bill of Rights. But because the um, uh, Department of Justice provides that already mm -hmm. and our department does provides it as well, and again, I'm trying to recall in my head where you can go on the website, but I can't right now, but I know it's under the Sheriff's Department website, and I can send that information again, and it'll give you all the information um, as to complaints, accommodations, and then any days off that um, deputy supervisors or anybody has received within the department. Because of misconduct? For misconduct. Um, Is this something that we can get maybe quarterly, maybe twice a year it's already provided it's us. already provided on the department of justice website but i'm saying for us for our meetings i would just have to give you the link to it um because that's where the, the department already provides that for them so i could we can just grab the information that they they have on their website and that's how we we get it i mean if you could do that that'd be great so this way the public would have it in our agenda packet too I don't know if we can do it through the agenda packet. I mean, we, there's something that we can discuss, but we can give you the links as to um, provide a link to get to that. Okay. Yeah, and, and, this, and this just to uh, also add, so it's, it's actually through the office of the Inspector General um, through the County of Los Angeles, and um, you can locate that information, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department website. I mean, we'll do a little more um, research in terms of what we can provide. Um, and th that same report, um, that's provided on a quarterly basis, as Lieutenant Lapkin had mentioned, um, is also presented to the Los Angeles County Civilian Oversight Commission. Um, and so we can see about, you know, um, adding it um, or something like uh, the month after. I don't know. I'm assuming that they'll release it, right? And then that'll reflect, like if we're in November, it'll probably reflect, right, October, September, and August, kind of that quarterly. And I'm just using that as an example, but we can look into that and see if we could provide that. And then I think my other question probably would be to you, Director Rivas, is how do you evaluate the Sheriff's Department? How does the city do it? Just in summary. In terms of evaluating the overall service? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, what we look at is uh, the information that, of course, that you're seeing uh, that's provided on a monthly basis, and we do kind of a year-to-date. Um, what you're seeing actually this month is um, kind of be the, the new format moving forward where you're able to see kind of those trends, right, from the calendar year, um, beginning of the calendar year from January to where we're at, and so that you can see that from the year prior. Um, and so we're looking at response time. We're looking at, obviously, um, how's, that, how's that being impacted by calls for service? Um, and then we're looking at part one crimes. And so we're looking at, obviously, the decrease increase. And so that is how we are uh, in discussion with the sheriff station, you know, in terms of what ways we can improve on in certain areas. Um, as uh, uh, the report, uh, if you observe it, you look at kind of overall, uh, part one crime is down. Um, this calendar year in comparison to last calendar year. Um, obviously, there's certain uh, crimes and types of crimes that, uh, that you're seeing that um, are more elevated in certain areas, and then you're seeing decreases uh, in other areas as well. But overall, part one crime um, is down um, this calendar year when you look at the last 10 months of this calendar year and you compare that to last calendar year. So you're just going off of those statistics is what you're saying? Um, we do base it off of uh, statistics and, and data, um, absolutely. Um, you know, and of course, if there are other um, indicators, other issues and things that are emerging through the community, then we certainly work with our West Hollywood Sheriff Station on those types of issues to make improvements where needed. Okay. Thank you.
Sure. Thank you. Thank um, you for that. Thank you, Commissioner Nickel. Uh, um, actually, um, just following up on that, on evaluating, uh, how many sworn officers do we have at this time at the Western Regional Station? We have 52 for the city. We have 52 for the city. So the last two that were added, you have not been able to add yet, or have you? Not officially to the contract. They are working, but not officially in the contract because um, there is a freeze because of the lack of, um, um, not the lack of, but because we have, I think, over a 1,000 um, vacancies within our department, so we couldn't add anything to the contract, but they are, um, they are, they have been added to patrol. They have been added, but yes, not on the contract. Right. Um, so I know that the FBI does follow employment data for police stations across the country, and the average is 2.4 sworn officers per 1,000 residents. So I think that we're at like 36,000 people in West Hollywood. That, of course, doesn't include our nightlife and how we swell on the weekends. Um, but I believe, I mean, I'm... I went to a liberal arts college. I'm not terribly mathy, but I think that's about 88 sworn officers that we should have if we were to go by the average for the nation. I know that um, Mayor Bass in, in Los Angeles has a goal of 10,000 officers, and if you do those numbers, the population of the city of Los Angeles and 2.4 would be 10,000 officers. Um, so I know that we've never been there. I think our height was around 67 in like 2007 or something. Um, but I know that there are issues as far as added pressures on officers dealing with, um, you have to be right all the time. That's it, officers just have to be right all the time. So there's a lot of pressures and a lot of you are working longer hours than necessary. I just wanted to get those numbers out there. If there's anything you would like to say? I mean, uh, all I can say, even if we had a blank check to hire the amount of deputies that the city, you know, based on the national um, average, unfortunately, you know, nationwide, the, the, the amount of deputies or officers that are lining up to become, get into law enforcement are not there. And that's where the challenges are, that um, uh, nationwide, not just us, we, we are... Um, our attrition rate, our number of qualified individuals, or just people that want to get into law enforcement, are the numbers are decreasing, you know. So it's a challenge, you know. Again, even if we had a blank check to say, here, you know, hire the 82 um, that you nationwide that they would be, it'll be difficult for us because of the challenges that nationwide we're facing. Understood. And uh, I will, speaking of nationwide, I hate to beat a dead horse, but before our special study session, when we uh, were talking to CPE, I, of course, spoke with an older person in Ithaca, and it had been suggested that they completely do away with their sheriff's department. And so I asked, well, what is the state of your sheriff's department now? What is morale like? Because they managed to not move forward with those efforts. The mayor resigned. Um, they had 35, they had 70 before it because they couldn't keep people and they couldn't hire because they felt that they weren't wanted. So, thank you.
Just uh, one more point, though, that I'd like to add. Um, the, the city um, has a contract with our West Hollywood Sheriff Station for 61 sworn officers at this time. So I, I just want to make sure I clarify that number. It's not 52. It's uh, 61 sworn officers uh, that the city currently contracts with our West Hollywood Sheriff Station for. I apologize. I forgot to count the teams. <laughs> no worries. Still not 88, but thank you. Uh, thank you, Director Rivas. Um, Sergeant Duran, I had given you a report number uh, that was attached to a vehicle burglary on Detroit, and I'd ask if there were any others that were reported. Um, what were the findings? Because I've been informed by residents that there have been several vehicle break-ins on Detroit south of Fountain and north of Lexington. And I know there have been mornings when I walk my dog when I've seen several vehicles with smashed um, windows. So for, for Detroit, I had our crime analyst uh, pull up the number of vehicle burglary reports on Detroit uh, within the city area, obviously. And it was, there was only two for the year. Um, however, on the east end or the east district of the city, those numbers have been increasing. Uh, the particular reports that you gave me, they're, they're basically what we would refer to as a whodunit report. We don't know. We don't have any active suspects right now. Um, is there any way to increase patrol at night? Because on Detroit, uh, it's not the best lit street in the city. Yeah, for, for sure. We, we base a lot of our um, directed patrols or our crime suppression type of uh, operations based on our crime data that, that, that we have. So when we see an increase in a particular part of the city, we direct our, our personnel or our special teams to, to focus on those areas. Um, and, and the East End is definitely one of those places that it's on our radar, for sure. Okay. And I would guess probably because the parking is on the side adjacent to Ralph's, there are no residential units on that side of the street where you would have more eyes um, available. It's kind of like a blind side. Um, this could be part of the issue. It, it could be, and it, and it could have something to do with the stairwell that you're referring to with the Ralphs area, that there, there is that issue with some um, unhoused and people going to and from that area, and it's kind of not really well lit. Um, yeah, it, it could possibly be an, a factor. Okay, thank you. I'm Director Rivas. I have a question for you, piggybacking on what you had mentioned earlier about possible patrols at derelict properties. Um, does that or can that also apply for derelict developments that are just sitting and lobbying without any work going on? Because 1159 North Formosa is becoming a huge problem and there has not been any work at that location four or five months. Yeah, if, if it, uh, so to answer your question, yes. Um, uh, our code enforcement staff actually um, will do periodic um, inspections um, of construction sites, especially if there isn't any sort of activity that's going on. And in many instances, unfortunately, you know, you'll have um, trespassing that's going on. Um, uh, but if, if it's related to kind of um, 
the duration of time of work that's being done, um, then that's something that's uh, different for code enforcement staff. Obviously, they relay, relay on um, the development um, process, um, and so they'll look at, you know, is there an active building permit, you know, on a property, um, et cetera. So they'll look at kind of all of that globally, but their concentration and their focus is going to be more of the uh, public nuisance type of issues that they're gonna concentrate on and focus. So if a construction site is not being properly maintained, if there's trespassing that's going on, then those are absolutely things that um, code enforcement staff can take a look at. So I did jot down um, the address that you meant at 1159 uh, for MOSA, so I'll make sure I pass that on as well to the code enforcement team. Thank you. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any questions from anyone in chambers for our sheriffs? Yes, um, we have Kevin Burton. If he wants to come up to the podium, you'll have three minutes to speak. President of West Hollywood, and I just want to comment, Sergeant Duran mentioned a new organization of the sheriff's report in your packet, and I do notice that there is a brief listing of two collisions between vehicles and pedestrians, two collisions between vehicles and bicycles last month. Traditionally, meaning for at least eight years, the report on, report on those collisions has included the date, the time, the location of the collision, as well as the assignment of fault by the responding deputy, which gives some idea of what happened at the collision. That's all very useful information for the community to have, as well as for the commission, I believe. And that information is not in the report this month, and I do hope that that will be restored in fut at future meetings in the sheriff's report. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Secretary, any additional public comments? Uh, we don't have any additional comments. Okay, great. Um, Lieutenant Lapkin, Sergeant Duran, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, item 7C, the block-by-block -block security ambassadors will now provide a report on activity for the month of October. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Uh, David Aguilar, Regional Vice President with Block by Block. I am filling in for General Manager Erica Leone, who is currently out of the office, but she will be back on Wednesday. Um, so real quickly, just jumping into the report for October, um, the team saw an increase in just about all categories uh, for the month of October. Primarily with our, uh, we saw an increase with our business contacts. We saw an increase in our, un, our unhoused resident contacts, our calls for service, and our requests for assistance from the Sheriff's Department. Um, the east side part of town and the center city or mid-city area definitely saw uh, an increase. Uh, I would say the center city probably saw a significant increase uh, just compared to the past few months. Um, so a bulk of those calls and the activity that they saw was in, re in regards to the unhoused population, for sure. Um, so I believe the team is currently looking at uh, just kind of adjusting some of our patrols to address some of those concerns in those areas. Um, there was definitely a strong push for the business contacts just because of the, uh, the Halloween carnival coming up um, and just 
historical purposes, we've always fielded quite a few questions from business owners, primarily regarding street closures. Um, so ambassadors were, were fielding a lot of questions in regards to the street closures, so they were able to provide a lot of information and also direct folks over to the city page that um, had everything outlined as far as what streets were going to be closed and just how to get around um, the event. Uh, in the month of October, Healthcare in Action um, also held a training with the team here on the west side part of town. They provided just updates to some of the resources for the, uh, the unhoused services that they are offering, as well as uh, updated contact information. Um, so the team's actively uh, working with the Healthcare in Action team. Um, regarding Halloween, so the team definitely had a strong presence uh, throughout the city. Um, primary focus was the residentials, and so we were just helping with ushering folks back down to the festivities. Um, we had quite a few folks along Santa Monica Boulevard. We had folks on the pickup trolleys. Uh, we also had uh, staff on the, uh, city, the city line, which was picking folks up and dropping folks off um, at the Hollywood and Highland Station. Uh, we actually partnered with our teams over in Hollywood, so we, we were also in Hollywood. Um, we were actually uh, able to staff those city lines with some of our Hollywood ambassadors um, who work very closely with LAPD, and so that was the whole strategy behind that. In the event there was a concern, we were able to connect with our dispatch center there who would uh, connect with LAPD directly. Fortunately, there were no issues um, that were reported for the city line, for the pickup trolley, or um, any of our teams along the boulevard and the adjacent uh, residentials. Um, there were a few questions that got passed on to me, so uh, I know there was a request for a year-to-year -year comparison of the statistics, so you will see that next month. Um, and then Commissioner Nickel, I believe you also had a question about the improper scooter uh, parking. So I did follow up with Erica on that. Um, and so to answer your question, it's not very time consuming, doesn't take up a whole lot of, of their time. Uh, but the idea is if they see a scooter that's in the public right away obstructing pedestrian traffic, they stop very quickly, they pick it up, they move it off to the side, they log that into our uh, reporting system. Um, I can see it becoming a time-consuming issue if our ambassadors are, are riding down the boulevard and they have to stop on a frequent basis to, to remove scooters that they identify that may be obstructing public right-of-way. Um, but I'd have to follow up with Erica on that just to see if that is the case. That is a fairly common issue that we see in other districts that we're in, um, and that that is a, a big part of the time that's spent by ambassadors who just are on foot patrols constantly picking up um, scooters and removing them from the public right-of-way. Um, that's all I have for the month. I did note just some of the concerns that have been brought up in regards to some of the issues on the east side, some of the property vacancies. So I'll connect with Erica and the team just to see if there's additional support that we can provide uh, with just having ambassadors check through some of these areas, um, both on the east side and as well as the vacant property that was mentioned over for Switzer as well. So, um, Any questions? Uh, yes, Commissioner Aramian. Uh, thank you. Good evening. Thank you for your report. Um, I also want to say, uh, Good job for uh, all the ambassadors for Halloween. I saw a huge presence. Uh, they were making contact, and I do appreciate everything that they do and everything that Block by Block is doing for our city. Um, my question is, Is Block by Block, are we at full capacity with ambassadors right now? I'd have to double check on that. So we're not, not at full capacity, but we're very close to that. I'd have to follow up with her just to see what the, that exact number is, though. And the only reason I ask is because I believe there's still some areas of West Hollywood that residents are not seeing a presence of the ambassadors. Okay. Um, there's a resident that always reaches out, especially, um, is it La Brea and Fountain? 
Okay. Um, do you guys go past um, McDonald's on La Brea? Where, where, where do you guys like? Yes, so we do go up to Fountain. And so we don't go further north of Fountain. Um, so they do, they do swing by the McDonald's. I know there was a request for some attention over at the Huxley, which I believe the team was providing. Um, but they don't go further north of Fountain on the east side part of town. And do they also make you know, their way through the streets of West Hollywood and, and like off of Fountain going north of Fountain, but in the city limits of West Hollywood? Because I also hear that they're not being visible in that jurisdiction of the area as well. So I'll have to get the proper name of the street. Mm -hmm. um, it just slipped my mind, but there's some areas of West Hollywood that some residents are not seeing uh, security ambassadors patrol. Sure. Uh, I mean, if, if we are able to just identify those streets, that would be helpful because I can pass that information on to them. But as long as they're within the city limits, there should be no issue with having our ambassadors uh, provide additional patrols in those areas. And the other thing, I, the last thing I have, um, the ambassadors deal a lot with the unhoused uh, community here in West Hollywood. Um, what are your thoughts of possibly maybe, you know, I know the sheriff's department have social workers that ride with them. Uh, but what if we had a social worker ride in the block-by-block -block, uh, pickup during, you know, nine to five hours to, to make that contact with uh, the unhoused as well? Because if the sheriffs are utilizing that, um, most of the times when we are calling for service to block-by-block, -block, they are responding. Um, I feel it will be beneficial to have a social worker there with block-by-block -block as well to offer services and see if they're willing to take those services. Is that something that could possibly be addressed, maybe bring it up to city council, or how we can go about maybe utilizing social services with block-by-block -block as well? It could be a possibility. Um, we would have to look at the liability side on our end, just because we're putting someone who's not an employee of our company into one of our company vehicles, and God forbid there's an accident. Um, but I'm sure there may be waivers that someone can sign. Um, so I'm not going to say no, but that is definitely a possibility. I can definitely see the benefit. But I will say that health care in action has been pretty responsive. Um, so when ambassadors have come across issues out there, um, they are contacting them and, and, and they are coming out to assist, um, as well as just some of the other city partners um, that are providing the street outreach. So. And just to, to add to, uh, to the response that David had provided from Block by Block 2, um, so Block by Block has very limited amount of vehicles um, as a part of their contract. Uh, their main focus is providing foot patrol. Um, and then, of course, you see uh, Block by Block ambassadors on bicycles as well. Um, and so kind of the, the thought process, right, of kind of having like a dedicated uh, vehicle with an ambassador um, also creates other additional challenges as well from an operational perspective because those vehicles, and David, you can correct me if I'm wrong, are more slated towards supervisory staff um, so that they can obviously patrol and check in, right, on their employees and their team members that are out and about. Um, and in addition to the healthcare in action, um, you know, we have the uh, West Hollywood care team um, that just launched as well. And so, you know, this is kind of their initial phase. Um, I believe, um, Commissioner Raymond, you were uh, here at the last meeting when um, you know, Corey Plank, our human services manager, did provide an update in terms of kind of the, the progress and the, and the step up initiative, right, and steps that they're going to be taking to eventually get to a, a 24 7 um, type of operation, which was what was intended. So um, I think there's a lot of resources. Um, we just, you know, we need to allow them. 
them a little bit of time to kind of get up and running, but um, we can certainly kind of take a look at, you know, any other available options. Um, given that the ambassadors are out there. Um, I will say that our security ambassador team as well um, has been um, uh, receiving briefings from our care team um, that's coordinated by our human services division. And so um, they've been doing a phenomenal job in terms of um, you know going uh, to not only our block by block kind of shift briefings, they've also been going to our West Hollywood Sheriff Station as well, as well as our Los Angeles County Fire Department to inform them about the services they provide, you know, providing them with the contact information. And so those are the three primary agencies, uh, sheriffs, fire, and block by block um, that are receiving this information so that when they're out, as you mentioned, uh, on foot patrols, bicycle patrols, or responding to calls for service, or maybe they're happening to be just patrolling in a vehicle or they see something um, that they could contact the care team and then the care team will respond or healthcare in action or other social services outreach workers. And so they're getting the word out, they're getting more informed. And so hopefully we'll um, you know, uh, begin to see even more services, obviously, which is the intent uh, being provided uh, out in the community to our unhoused population. Thank you, Director Rivas. Um, Commissioner Blau. Thank you. Um, and Director Rivas stole my point that I was going to talk about, my plug of WeHo Cares. Uh, so I'll skip that. Um, but just a point that I would actually uh, add to the, the benefit of, in general, block by block that we get um, is, you know, depending on um, what we see later with the public safety equipment and what uh, city council decides to do with that. Um, obviously, a lot of that focus is on, you know, the high high visibility areas of the city, you know, Santa Monica, Sunset, uh, Melrose, and, you know, one of those is, you know, fixture-mounted cameras. Um, I personally see a, a big benefit in block by block that it's people oriented. It's, it's people walking around and the contacts and the eyes that they have, um, you know, amongst the city. And I would personally feel more comfortable having more block by block representation, you know, in the residential areas looking out for the neighborhoods than, you know, maybe fixture mounted cameras personally. Just a plug there. Um, a question to you, David. Um, in the report, the last section on the response times, just a question. There's seven calls listed here. How are those selected amongst, you know, um, the, the hundreds, the, the 1,200? 24, uh, over 1,200 calls for October. How were those ones selected for um, showing response times? So I did notice that as well. Um, so that's a question I didn't <laughs> ask Erica. Okay. Um, but I, I, I wish I had a better response for you. Um, I did see that there were only seven that were noted on there. Um, so I, I don't want to say that they were the more significant incidents, and that's why that was reported. So I'd have to follow up with her. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, that's it. I'm Commissioner Freeberg. Good evening, thank you for your report. And also thank you for all your work for Halloween and keeping everybody safe. Um, I just had a question, and this might be an Erica question. Um, the safety escorts, in September there were 41, October 63, maybe that had to do with Halloween. But just in general, what are people asking for? Why, why, are they, why do they need an escort? Sure. And where are so they going? Are they going home or are they? Um, we, we've had, we have provided escorts to the front door of, of residents, um, but I would say that a bulk of those requests are really just walking people back to their cars, walking people back to their vehicles after they leave some of the businesses out here. Um, 
but sure, every once in a while we will get requests from residents um, to walk them to their front door from the Gateway Center, from some of the shopping areas. Um, but I would say the, the number one would probably be just walking them back to their vehicles after they leave some of the businesses here. So would you say this would be at nighttime and most likely from a bar or club? Definitely. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, Commissioner Nickel. Thank you, Chair. David, um, thank you for responding to my question about the scooters. So I think you mostly answered it, but I, looking at your report, it was a total of 347 incidents of improper e-scooter parking. Mm. And uh, I, I did a walk along with, with you guys a while ago. And of course, while I did that, this is what was happening. There were e-scooters, picking them up, putting them aside. Um, maybe it's something for Erica, but do you know what happens then? Is Bird called? Is Lime called to s come pick up the scooters? Or do you guys not have direct contact with them and they're just left there? So that's a great question. I do believe I see Danny going for the mic, so I'll let, I'll let Commissioner uh, Director Rivas answer the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, yeah, so their, their focus is to... Um, relocate them to uh, a safe position right on the street. So if they are laid over, they're blocking pedestrian access and an ambassador uh, would be expected to pick up that scooter, right? And maybe move it to a more better area where there's clear width for a pedestrian. It's not blocking anything. Um, they're not responsible for relocating to a designated location. Um, that is not something um, that uh, they have been given direction to, to do. Um, but just their assistance in terms of just, uh, you know, if they're acknowledging, while they're, obviously they're patrolling and they're seeing something kind of laid on its side, blocking pedestrian access, then of course they are expected to, to kind of handle that. So, um, but as a part of the program that's handled by a different division um, within the city, um, we have our uh, contracted uh, providers that are responsible for relocating, right? So actually picking up um, the devices themselves and then um, uh, placing them back um, into their designated corrals, if you will, um, of where they're supposed to be located. Um, uh, sure, ambassadors are uh, capable of um, uh, reaching out to a company, but um, more than likely they're, they're not doing that. Um, you know, that's where we have, again, that contracted provider that's uh, focused uh, primarily and solely is to do just that, right, is to respond to those requests, uh, proactively patrol um, locate these uh, scooters and then making sure that they're placing them back in their cross. Yeah, I, I can imagine it will become very time consuming for block by block to do that, to take them back to the, the exact place. But I will say uh, the people who con are contracted to do it, there are lots of residents saying that they see them in the same place for 24 hours or longer, but it is good for disabled residents, for older adults that they don't have to fall over an e-scooter in the middle of the sidewalk because you guys are out there doing the decent thing that the rider should have done and moving them aside. So thank you. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments for Block by Block? We don't have any additional comments, public comments. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, item 7D. Uh, the Public Safety Commission will debrief on a special meeting held on August 14th um, where various public safety equipment technology and security enhancements were discussed and provide any additional comment 
and or recommendation to city council to consider. And for all my fellow commissioners, this is a very important item for all of us. I know everyone is very concerned and um, some wish we had had more time. So this is our opportunity um, to, you know, make additional comments. I would just like to, you know, hopefully in lieu of time that we just keep it moving and be respectful of one another because I'm sure most of us have something to contribute. So um, would anyone like to start? Quick question. How are we going to do this? Are we going to be each voting on one thing, one item? Or how is this going to work? Uh, Director like, Rebus. How are we going to report back to City Council? How's yeah. that work? It, it, so, um, so, yeah, no, no different than um, when we did have this item, right, go before uh, this body and the City Council. Um, so the Public Safety Commission, this is a, a second go around, as um, the chair had mentioned. And so um, any questions, um, any uh, potential recommendations and input that you would like the City Council to be provided to consider when the item um, returns before them, which is scheduled to occur next month, um, will be included um, as a part of the staff report. So I did uh, place um, uh, two attachments to this staff report. Uh, the first attachment is just the uh, same exact um, uh, report that you all were provided back in August. But, but the second uh, was a memo, um, and that memo came um, as a result of the input and feedback um, after presenting this item before um, the Social Justice Advisory Board, um, the LGBTQ Plus Commission, and the Human Services Commission. And so if you're, you kind of see and reference that format, um, that would be the idea. And the takeaway from here um, would be for you all to ask questions, for you to provide your recommendations. It wouldn't be uh, in terms of you voting on a particular item. It, it, of course, if that's what the commission wants to do in terms of supporting a particular item, you certainly could do that as well. Um, but we're just kind of looking for a general overview of input and feedback from the commission. And then being able to summarize that, and then we will include that in the staff report that goes to the city council to consider. Great, thank you, Director Rivas. So with that being said, um, are there any questions at this time or concerns or comments that any commissioners would like to have added to the uh, report. Uh, Chair, if, if no one else does, I have just a couple of comments. Sure, Commissioner Wells. Thank you. Um, I, I had the opportunity at the uh, session in August to ask basically all my questions, so I don't have really generally item by item questions, but more so overview. Um, in general, with what we're looking at here, Danny, or D Director Rivas, rather, um, you know, we've got costs associated with each one of these items and um, kind of overall, uh, we're fixing a cost to any one of these items. Um, and obviously this is very high level in nature. Um, but, you know, are these costs quoted with some kind of plan in mind regarding like a year long pilot project or, um, you know, whether it be, whether it be like the real-time watch center, um, you know, the obviously some of the, the, the ballistic stuff is a one-time purchase, but, um, uh, you know, the fixed real-time cameras, any of these kinds of things, the drones as first responders, um, were, they, was, were they formulated with a particular time frame in mind? 
Um, they were, and so I'm just showing on the screen, right, um, and this is the first option that was in attachment A in the staff report that went before you all. Um, so the first item is regarding um, the drone, the use of a drone, and so you can see kind of the estimated cost and timeline. So this is related to a one-year um, pilot program, um, and the estimate is at uh, 250000 and we, of course, acquired that um, a figure from uh, speaking with uh, the vendor um, that we've been in communication with, right? Um, and so uh, that would include, uh, you know, the leasing of the equipment, training, um, the software, um, and all the communication and technology that goes into that, that they would have to essentially install at the West Hollywood Sheriff Station. Um, and then that would include as well uh, personnel uh, working 40 hours a week. So all of it kind of varies. Um, it, it depends. I know there's some of them, if I drill down, um, are mentioning more of like a six month um, as opposed to a year um, versus what you just mentioned, right? If it's the ballistic protection, then obviously that's a, an initial cost, right? And then um, there would, really wouldn't be any ongoing maintenance as it relates to ballistic protection um, unless we decided to replace it. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head kind of the lifespan of the ballistic protection, but of course that's definitely something that, um, you know, the detailed information that we'll be able to plug in when we return to council. Okay. Thank you. And for any of the items that have basically a, a heavy upfront capital cost that aren't just, you know, operations, maintenance, ongoing support, um, or even leasing of equipment that could very well be terminated at the end of a pilot, how does the recuperation of costs go at the end of a pilot should that pilot be chosen not to move forward with by, by city council, for instance, the real-time watch center? Yeah, so in terms of recouping the cost, there really isn't uh, any, any recovery as it okay. relates to that. This, this, it's an investment, um, but we wanted to place it as a pilot um, so that, you know, we'd be able to assess, right, the uh, productivity and the effectiveness of it and then be able to bring back um, that information um, to the city council, um, you know, for further consideration. Um, we'll just use, you know, and mention as I'm working on the staff report that's actually gonna be going to city council next month, because that's just around the corner. Um, you know, the city of Beverly Hills, as we use them as an example, and we reflected on the staff report, um, they implemented their uh, real-time uh, watch center, right, the use of the drones, the fixed cameras, et cetera. Um, back in June of last year. And so in June of this year, they essentially presented, the chief of the Beverly Hills Police Department presented an update to uh, the Beverly Hills City Council and it outlined, right, um, the, how crime has decreased, right, and, and the use of all of that technology. And so we would take that same approach. Um, that was the idea um, that we would utilize in terms of bringing back, you know, a staff report to the City Council, uh, perhaps if City Council wished us to present the same information which I'm sure uh, we could do to, to the other bodies too, um, this body as well, to um, you know, keep them informed about um, what's being presented and the effectiveness or not. Um, but essentially there wouldn't be any recovery, right? That would be um, an investment for that year. Um, and the reason why we're looking at kind of the lease as opposed to purchasing, um, some of these that you're seeing on there is for that reason, because if we decide not to move forward with it, um, and when I say we, I'm meaning the city council, if they decide not to move forward with a particular pilot program, then we could pull the plug, right? And we don't have that um, asset um, that is just gonna sit there on the shelf, um, you know? So that was the thought process in terms of kind of leasing the equipment. Great, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back again, but I don't know if anyone else has other questions. Um, Commissioner Nickel. 
Thank you, Chair. Um, as I mentioned in August, I'm unfortunately in favor of most of this. I say unfortunately because I can see how a lot of people would think it's creepy, um, but I think we live in a world where a lot of it's necessary. I think that Beverly Hills has shown that it can be very effective. I mentioned earlier about the murder suspect uh, within about a week ago who was arrested within 30 minutes because of their real-time watch center. Um, I did just want to make clear, when it com comes to the drones, I know that the ACLU has worried about routine surveillance. It is a response. It's not like we're going to have drones circling above West Hollywood filming everything all the time. This is an instance where something happens, there is a call made to the sheriff's station, and before an officer can get there, a drone could get there, and as was mentioned even earlier, say a person changes their, their outfit so that they can get away easier, or even just to see what they look like so that they have um, a description of the suspect or if they're holding a gun or something that is not a gun. So this is the case, right? It is a responsive thing. That, that is correct, uh, Commissioner Nichols. So um, the uh, recommendation it would be that, uh, that the use of the drone um, and even the fixed cameras would be on a reactive basis. Um, and I will say that that is different um, from what the city of Beverly Hills uh, approaches. So the city of Beverly Hills proactively uh, monitors uh, their cameras and so they have uh, folks that, um, that they've allocated um, in the real-time watch center, right, that are monitoring those fixed cameras. Um, but in terms of the use of the drones, uh, you know, or fixed cameras in terms of what's been included here, um, that would uh, be as a result of a call for service. So the sheriff's station, to your point, receives a call, um, and then that uh, drone is then um, deployed, right, to that call and that incident. Um, if there happens to be fixed cameras um, there at that location, then, then that is something then that uh, our deputies and staff in uh, the dispatch center and the real-time watch center would be able to access. Um, and and in, in terms of use, utilizing both of those technologies, they would be able to then communicate to the responding deputies, right, in terms of um, what, is, what is going on um, in that particular instance. So that is what um, is being proposed in terms of how West Hollywood Sheriff Station would be utilizing this. Thank you for making that clear. Um, and then the other thing is there was a, a horrific scenario brought up at the meeting, if I remember correctly. And um, it was something along the lines of a woman leaves a red state, say Texas, where abortions are illegal, and they come to Southern California, and then someone in that state actually comes to us and asks for footage that had been recorded from a drone just randomly or a real-time fixed camera, and that that footage can be used to prosecute her for something which is absolutely legal in our state. You can think of many different scenarios where that could happen if this, if this is something that would move forward. Marijuana is illegal in a lot of places. There are places where being gay is illegal in other countries where it could be used. That is absolutely not the case, correct? There is something that we could put in place that makes it very clear that we would never turn over footage for anything that is legal in our city 
Um, that's definitely something, Commissioner Nickel, that um, we would be able to work with um, the department on. Um, and one of the things in our um, discussions kind of following that uh, meeting in, in August, the special meeting, is that um, you know, we would work with the department on establishing uh, a policy that, that fits the needs of the West Hollywood community. And although the entire department, that wouldn't apply to the entire department, um, that that could become a West Hollywood station order um, that could put, be put in place um, as it relates to the pilot program. And so um, we're still flushing out, right, that, um, that approach. Um, but I think that's, uh, that is something that could definitely address the concerns that you just described. And there are concerns, and I think that it would be really good if we can make that very, very clear. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, Vice Chair Saltzman. Thank you, Chair. Um, <clears throat> I don't have any questions. The questions that I have have been answered. Um, but I'll make a stab at um, similar to what some commissioners and some council members did in August uh, and just identify things that I think make sense that we should go forward on and things that I would either don't think make sense or should be secondary. Um, so I'll just walk through them. Um, I do think the drone, the proposal for the drones as first responders makes sense. Uh, we've seen it uh, generates faster response times, gives better situational awareness to the deputies when they're responding. But having said that, just as Commissioner Nickel was just discussing, there are policies that need to be implemented to go along with that with respect to misuse of the drones and privacy. And so while I think we should go forward, I think we need to be clear that those policies need to be put into place. And I'm encouraged to hear that it would not necessarily be a sheriff's department-wide policy, but one that's appropriate here in West Hollywood. Um, second, I think the fixed real-time cameras make good sense for many of the same reasons. Um, same concern about the policies. Um, third, I think the real-time watch center would be quite valuable. Um, if we're gonna have cameras, if we're gonna have drones, uh, the way to multiply their effectiveness, or one of the ways to do that is with a real-time watch center, and so I would support that. Um, I also support the high-speed vehicle chase alternative. Um, there are serious safety issues with respect to high-speed chases, and we heard from the sheriff today that in a number of instances, uh, the deputies themselves or the watch commanders call off the chase because of the dangerousness of the chase. And the alternative being presented here is one that would uh, do away with the need of the actual high-speed chase because we'd be following the, uh, the car that we would be chasing otherwise. So I would be in support of that. Um, second to last, uh, the emergency communication system, which is essentially an upgrade of Nixle, I think is long overdue. Nixle is helpful, but is very basic. Uh, and there's so much more information that we could gather and distribute uh, through that proposal. Uh, and finally, on the positive side, I think the Polaris Utility Task Vehicle for major events makes sense. We have so many significant major events here where that uh, utility task vehicle could be 
extremely helpful. Um, on the other side of the ledger, I don't see uh, current need or value for the gunshot detection system, and I don't think I would be in favor of the body-worn cameras for block-by-block -block, uh, ambassadors. What that leaves then is there are four proposals regarding city facilities, the proactive monitoring, the ballistic protection, the weapon detection, and the visitor management system. And for some of those, the staff recommended gathering more community input. And I think for all four of those, I think it would make sense to gather more community input before moving forward on those. Uh, I do think they would be I just think there are going to be a lot of different opinions about them, and I think we need to be clear about what those are and what benefit we're going to get from those if we actually go ahead and do them. Um, so those are my thoughts about the proposals, and I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Extremely helpful, Vice Chair. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, Commissioner Freiberg. Uh, just a couple things. As for the drones, um, the Sheriff's Department already has drones that they can use at any time for emergencies. I think um, one of the things Captain Mulder had mentioned when asked at that special meeting was, are you going to use it for anything else? And he said, well, yeah, public safety issues. That could be anything. You know, that doesn't have to be like a first response. And let's say it is a first response. It's not stopping crime. They're just showing up afterwards. So there is no empirical evidence and I wish there was that showed that they're effective in lowering crime, stopping crime, or saving lives. Um, as for Beverly Hills, you know, I mean, that could be a misleading correlation. Maybe that one time it did work, but there just isn't the evidence to really support it. Um, and the chance that they could misuse the data is so great, and there's no regulations because they basically want to control the whole thing, and Captain Mulder had mentioned that as well at the meeting, that they were going to be in charge of everything. But it's so important for city council to regulate that, and which I did mention during that, um, that meeting. Um, the other thing, same thing with real-time fixed cameras. I mean, yeah, they're going to move cameras around, but are they going to all of a sudden say, oh, a drug dealer lives over here in this apartment building? puts it up at the apartment building, now it's watching there every day. I mean, you just don't know, and I think this goes along with the, you know, they could misuse the data as well. You know, I mean, they are going to be dealing with private companies. They're going to be getting all the data usage, checking it over. They could do anything with it. They can, you know, um, if you read any of the studies from the ACLU, they could just use um, AI companies. They could go on Facebook. They could look at, you know, facial recognition with all of this. So I don't think, it just doesn't outweigh the privacy issue. I just think um, the invasion of privacy is, is just too costly and you can't turn back once this starts. The other thing I wanted to mention, I'm just gonna go through really quick. Um, the gunshot detection, which I agree with Commissioner Salzman, I think, um, it's, there's just serious concerns over the accuracy of it. And for them to hear maybe a gun, not a gunshot, um, a car backfiring, uh, 
you know, fireworks, anything. Now you have officers going to a situation thinking there's an active shooter. And the problem with that is they're going in there with a certain frame of mind and they're gonna be on high alert. Well, guess what happened in Chicago? A 13-year-old boy was killed because of something like this. So I definitely don't think we need it. We don't really have uh, shootouts in our city, thank God. Um, and then I think um, block by block cameras. I wish we had heard more from block by block about this, but I guess they're okay with it. Um, and it's free, so I guess you could use it as a learning tool. I don't see anyone really saying they don't want it. Um, and then I think all of the city weapon detection and all of that, it seems like it's, it's protecting a lot of just city staff and not so much the public, but I think that's something the city should really deal with on their own. You know, like, do you think this is necessary? I'm not sure how the money is divvied up, but I feel like it would be more of a city's decision than our decision and maybe our residents' decision. Um, and I think that, it, and for the UTV, um, that sounds really fun. <laughs> I guess it's good, I don't know. Um, but that's it, I, that, that's just my two cents. Thank you. All right, thank you. Commissioner Aramian. Um, thank you, Chair. Um, I just wanna keep this really brief. Um, back in August, I was pretty much in favor of all the recommendations and I, am still in favor of all of the items, except for a few, and I just wanna go through them really quick. Um, I know a couple of my colleagues on the commission are not all in, happy about having drones or cameras, but I feel unfortunately times have changed in our society right now, and there is no privacy in our world right now. If we walk down the street, go to Target, you know, either the city of Los Angeles, they know exactly when you're going inside Target, when you're going into your car, when you're exiting your vehicle. Unfortunately, there is no such thing as privacy in our society anymore. So I'd rather be safe, I'd rather our community be safe, I'd rather these technological equipment be used uh, to help protect us, protect our children, protect our grandparents, protect everyone who is living in our society right now because times are changing. So in regards to a drone as a first responder, yes, I'm in favor for that because I'd rather have a drone respond to a situation call, analyze it, triage it, and know what needs to be done, what tools, what other deputies need to respond. And sometimes a drone will respond to these situations quicker than a patrol car going from the east side to the west side or vice versa. Um, moving forward, um, fixed real cameras, yes, I would love all the cameras to be installed in West Hollywood. It's working for Beverly Hills. Like Detective Riva said, these will not be on 24-7, but they can tap into it to see what's going on. I was driving through Beverly Hills yesterday or the day before. I was on Olympic, and there's cameras everywhere. There are signs red light camera, there's signs you're being videotaped, you look up the uh, light poles, there's cameras. There's also like a big generator with the red and blue lights flashing. You're being recorded at the intersections. When you see that, you think twice about doing something in that city, because you know you're being watched. If West Hollywood has that, I hope it'll deter most of the crime that happens here in West Hollywood. Um, gunshot detection, 
I'm going to pass on that. I don't think that's something we need. You know, we really don't have that much gunshot uh, situations arriving here in West Hollywood. A real-time watch center, yes, to, to overlook the drones and all the uh, cameras. Um, Body-worn cameras for block-by-block, block, I believe they should wear that. They make just as much as, uh, as many contacts with businesses, unhoused, everyone in the community. If our sheriff's department are going to wear it and are wearing it, I think block-by-block block block should wear it. It'll be beneficial in litigations. It'll be beneficial not only for block-by-block, block, but also for the city of West Hollywood. I just feel that we talk about privacy, we talk about privacy, but the more we talk about privacy, our crime rates are going up. So I'm all for privacy. Let's figure out what those privacy deals are going to be. I don't feel cameras are going to be going into our bedrooms and watching us have intimate moments with our partners or anything like that, or watching a drug dealer, you know, weighing out his, his product and selling it. You know, I believe in privacy like that. But when it comes to public roadways and streets, unfortunately, there is no such thing as privacy. If we're living on those streets, I'd rather be safe and make sure that I'm, people are being watched and protected. So those are my two cents. Uh, thank you. Um, my comments, uh, I'm going to piggyback on some of the comments of some of my fellow commissioners, but I'm going to start with an acronym, CCTV. If you've ever been to Europe, CCTV is everywhere. And I've never heard any of my friends that live in Europe complain about it, nor have I had any of my friends in the LGBTQ plus community say they've been outed because of CCTV. It is an important deterrent and it is an important method used for tracking an unfortunate situation. Also privacy, if you have one of these, guess what? You don't have a right to privacy because your phone is always listening to you. Uh, I am very much in favor of the drones. I think they will be a tremendous aid to our sheriff's department, especially as Lieutenant Lapkin mentioned, if a perpetrator is changing clothing, a drone may pick up on that faster. I'm in favor of fixed cameras, real-time watch center, um, block by block, having cameras, because since they seem to be under the microscope, and since so many people um, are grumbling about block by block, maybe it's a good thing to have. Uh, also, gunshot detection. I'm just curious, what terrifies me the most in our 1.9 mile city, and every square inch of this city needs to be protected but our busiest area is the Rainbow District. In Orlando, Pulse, Colorado Springs, those were isolated bars. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. We are bar after bar after bar after bar. What's going to happen, God forbid, if we do have an attack and someone's running down the street as a spree killer.
So could the gunshot detection be an important tool? I was in New York on September 11th. That completely changed my perspective on a lot of this. And yes, as one of my commissioners said, we are living in very different times and we need to be vigilant, we need to be smart, and we need to be ahead of the criminal element. So I stand behind many of these um, items and I would love to see them moved forward. Commissioner Harrison. Uh, just basically echoing what I think's been said. I think um, I'm definitely in favor of the drone. Um, I do believe block-by-block uh, -block cameras, it's great. I know that that's not you know, data that we get without requesting it, and that would all have to be, I assume, worked out along the same lines that the sheriff deals with that data. Um, Real-time watch center just seems to make sense. I mean, whether it's the drone technology or the cameras, fixed cameras, I think you're gonna have to have that one spot where things are being reviewed and viewed, especially in light of the sheriff's comments earlier about people going into policing. Um, and you know, I think that we need to aid our law enforcement with technology that's available and being widely used in safe and responsible ways. Um, Commissioner, Commissioner Freiberg. I just wanted to make one more comment. Um, as to the privacy issue, it's very different if you're holding your phone and you're out in public compared to getting caught on a camera that the Sheriff's Department is gonna go through and study that footage and keep it and study it and keep it and you know like I said it could be misused anywhere there's cameras everywhere there's cameras the smash and grabs are happening every day and what do you see you see all of their their images I mean there's and they still couldn't find who they were so I think you know it's very different from Target having enclosed caption TV on you all day as compared to someone who's sitting there studying it and it could be, be misused and that's where I was coming from uh, commissioners, any other comments before we move on? I do, please. All right. Thank you. Um, I guess I would just generally say to wrap up my, my kind of comments and thoughts on this is, um, you know, I think, I think in general we have to balance our advancement of technology, especially for public safety and these kinds of items with, with privacy. As uh, my fellow commissioners are saying, you know, it's, it's hard to and impossible to expect complete privacy in the modern era, you know, whether it be at home or in public. Um, but I think that every step that a city or a body might take towards advancing that, you know, um, adding, adding fuel to the fire or, you know, throwing another bucket of water into the ocean, um, still should be done with some thought and some care about you know the edge cases which is i think what we're trying to do here um and you know there is a massive difference between like cctv closed circuit tv and cloud connected um cameras the the edge cases that um a lot of us are maybe voicing or at least i i have i hold in concern with these are related to the bad actors, you know, someone who shouldn't have access to um, the camera data, to whatever data is being collected, this huge trove of data that would be collected under um, any different of these means here. Um, and so it's, it's much different and I would, I would recommend we do so with, with uh, care. Um, Director Rivas, you mentioned um, 
potentially, uh, they were looking at a station order for some of these, uh, some of these sheriff-related or kind of contained items. Um, question, what is the enforceability of like a station order and like transparency of it or oversight? Like what, what would that look like? Um, I don't, yeah, I know uh, it's something that I've been speaking with the captain of the West Hollywood Sheriff Station uh, about, um, so I don't want to uh, misspeak, right, in terms of um, kind of the accountability, but um, anytime, I'm assuming, and Lieutenant Lapkin, I don't know if you have any information that you could add, but I'm assuming that, you know, when there is a station order, um, that uh, essentially is a policy that's in place at that time uh, for that particular station, and so it would follow the same a process um, that uh, any other policy would follow, right, in terms of uh, if a deputy didn't follow that, then obviously there's a progressive uh, disciplinary process um, that the station would follow as it relates to that. Okay. Because um, that, that'll be interesting to consider as well, right? Um, and I think that'll echo some of the, the city council's concerns um, and those that were raised here as well. Um, Next question. Um, you know, all these items are really, really under, I'm not gonna, underbaked to borrow the uh, uh, city council member's term. Um, and there definitely wasn't uh, guidance for them to necessarily be, quote, like fully baked um, before coming around to the commissions. Um, but with December on our heels, which of these items, do you know which of these items are going to go before city council? Uh, so all, all of the items are expected to go back before um, the council. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I would suggest to the commission, similarly to what uh, Vice Chair Saltzman and some of the other commissioners um, offered, um, if they feel comfortable in terms of kind of going down um, the list of items um, and you know making recommendations in support or, or not, um, in support, um, which would be helpful as I'm, you know, taking notes and kind of tabulating all that, that would be helpful um, for me to, to summarize and provide to the city council. And, and so they, you know, the city council did, the council members did go through um, the list as well, if you all recall, um, and kind of went through that. And so what we intend to do is bring uh, more concrete um, numbers um, as it relates to um, these items, you know, the concentration was more to focus on um, the council chambers and city hall um, as opposed to our recreational facilities um, that were included with some of the other kind of city uh, facility um, enhancements. Um, and so that'll be kind of our, our focus is kind of narrowing that down a little bit. Um, and then I will share with the commission that um, I intend to provide some visual um, uh, visuals of, of these types of uh, technologies and equipment, right? So I think there's nothing better than to see a picture of exactly what, what it is, right, that, that is being referred to um, so that even members of the community as well can, can get a sense of it. Um, Director Rivas, so are you suggesting that uh, as a commission we go through each item and make our recommendation? You, you could. I mean, I think Vice Chair Saltzman did it uh, very efficiently. Um, it didn't take um, that long. Um, I have uh, everybody's comments. I think 
Um, aside from, I have some notes right now from Commissioner Blau, uh, and I think Commissioner Nickel, I haven't uh, heard yet, maybe uh, kind of summarizing if, if you feel comfortable or not. Um, but I think from the rest of the commission, I already have a good sense of uh, the items that they spoke about. It doesn't have to be every item. Um, you don't have to speak about every item, but um, whatever you feel comfortable in terms of communicating would be helpful. Well, I made my individual recommendations you did. on the items that I'm comfortable with. Um, commissioners, does anyone else want to? Sorry, I can, I can make it very clear. So I am in favor of the drones, the real-time fixed cameras. Uh, the real-time watch center, um, the uh, proactive monitoring, monitoring um, visitor management system, Polaris UTV. Some of the other ones, I, I'm the block-by-block -block cameras. You know, I'm I'm sort of either way. But the one other thing I will say is January sixth. We've all seen a lot of footage from January 6th, and we've seen a lot of really bad people arrested. So a lot of that footage was just people recording themselves on cameras and putting it out there, but there were body cameras from police officers. There was uh, um, uh, public cameras, uh, CCTV, all sorts of things that helped to put a lot of bad people behind bars. Thank you. Great. Um, any other commissioners um, that would like to quickly go through uh, their recommendations, if they have any. Commissioner Ramian. Um, Director Reeves, I think I already went through some of my list of items, um, so that's on the record as well. Okay, anyone else? All right, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments on this item? We don't have any com public comments on this item. Okay, great, so Director Reeves, um, I think we're good. We've all had the opportunity to weigh in, which is what everyone wanted. Um, do you have everything that you need from us? I, I do, if, uh, if the commission feels comfortable in terms of what they conveyed this evening, I think, I think we're good. Okay, great, thank you. So moving on to new business, uh, item 8A, the Public Safety Commission will receive an update on the draft West Hollywood Target Vision Zero Action Plan. Good evening. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Um, my name is David Fenn, senior planner in the Long Range Planning Department. Um, David, you need to pull your mic down a little and lean in. They're a little oh, temperamental. Is that better? Yes, thank you. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is David Fenn, senior planner in the Long Range Planning Division here um, with an update on Vision Zero. Um, Danny, are you able to bring up the slides? Yeah, I am working on it. We Just give me a second, it's pulling up on the laptop. Go ahead, Fudge, you can keep talking. So, <laughs> I do have a, a brief presentation uh, I can go through on some of the, the highlights if you if you'd like. Would the commission like a presentation on this? Uh, yes. All right, um, so next slide, please. Um, this is just the agenda, and uh, next slide again, sorry. Uh, and again. Um, 
So Vision Zero um, is the council-directed initiative to uh, move towards um, reducing and ultimately uh, eliminating traffic, severe and fatal traffic fatalities and crashes in the city. Um, it was a council directive back in February of 2021. We've been working, it was disrupted a little bit by the pandemic, but we've been working with a consultant and a, a task force and um, appointed from various commissions to look into approaches for the city uh, to address that, uh, developing an action plan that can kind of guide those efforts. Um, Vision Zero is kind of a, a broader uh, national and international movement that the city is, is joining, um, a recognition that um, our infrastructure and, and enforcement and other factors play a role in collisions and they are, they are preventable. Uh, next slide, please. So we've been working with a team of consultants at uh, DKS and Urban Logic. Um, we've had some input already from County Fire and Sheriff, and we hope to meet with them again soon um, on these recommendations. We've also been to several other boards and commissions, including Transportation Commission, Older Adults Advisory Board, Disabilities Advisory Board, uh, as well as a task force with representatives from, from each of the commissions. Um, there was also a, an online um, outreach component um, through the Social Pinpoint platform. There was a map where people could post safety concerns um, in different parts of the city and, and categorize them, and that was incorporated into this analysis. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, one more. Um, so this is a just overall map of um, where, oh, first of all, I should back up. We looked at um, historic traffic collision data that comes directly from um, the police reports generated um, by the sheriff in our case. Those go up to a statewide database and they come back down to us. Um, we use the statewide database for purposes of um, ensuring that the data is comparable uh, year over year. But we looked at five years of collision data in West Hollywood. Um, in that time, there were four fatal collisions and 78 severe injury collisions for a from a total of over 3,000. And as you can see in the map, they're, they're fairly um, clustered along, you know, busy commercial corridors, larger intersections, um, with a, a few others. Um, they're much less concentrated in other areas, but they are also at other intersections throughout the city. Um, next slide, please. Um, so our focus is really on the fatal and serious injury crashes, which are a much smaller number than the overall 3,000 figure. Um, but even within those, there are a lot of trends. Um, that are interesting. So, for example, 70, fully 74% of those crashes involve vulnerable users, so people that are not, you know, protected by the two-ton vehicle that, you know, a driver is, for example. Um, fully 40% of them involve pedestrians, 10% involve bicycles, and 24% motorcycles. Um, next slide, please. Um, we're also, though they're a much, much smaller factor um, in terms of primary collision factors, we're also looking at um, a focus on um, crashes involved speeding or impaired driving, because they, those may also be factors in other collisions, but if they're not the primary factor, they wouldn't show up in the data that way. Uh, next slide, please. And then finally, because of the nature of the, the kind of urban environment that we're in, um, the vast majority of crashes in West Hollywood were at intersections rather than mid-block. Um, it's really just a reflection of the, the type of urban environment we find ourselves in. Next slide, please. So looking at that kind of overall picture, um, there's, we came up with some systemic things that the city can do over time to try to reduce um, either reduce, prevent the crashes in the first place or reduce the severity of them when they do occur. 
Um, one thing we're looking at is potentially lowering speed limits throughout the city. Uh, this is something that in the past we didn't have legislative authority to do, but there is recent state legislation that provides more flexibility on this, and a, a key provision of that uh, legislation goes into effect next June. So we'll be looking, it, it allows for essentially um, very modest uh, speed limit reductions, which you know, may seem insignificant, you know, if a commercial corridor goes from 35 miles per hour to 30 miles per hour, for example, but when we get into um, traffic collision, the chances of someone, especially a pedestrian, surviving a crash goes up dramatically with just a small difference like that. Um, it's actually an exponential curve, the, the severity there. Um, and then a residential street might go from, say, 25 to 20. Um, the map there shows, again, the, um, the fatal and severe collision concentrations overlaid with you know, the darker lines or the higher speed limit streets. And you can see there's definitely a correlation of you know, many of the severe crashes happening in areas that are higher speed limits. But obviously we know that people don't necessarily follow speed limits at all times. In, you know, rush hour, they may be going quite slowly, but late at night they might be going faster. Um, there are things we can do with infrastructure that make it physically more difficult and, and psychologically more difficult to drive at higher speeds. Um, so we would pair that with a uh, expansion of traffic calming, things like bulb outs and traffic circles, um, raised crosswalks where they make sense. Um, and expanding bike lanes, um, as you know, the council has already directed us to do in, in other programs. Next slide, please. Um, some of the other things we, we're looking at are um, you know, signal modifications, for example. So that we have these already in some intersections, but things like a, a lead, leading pedestrian interval gives pedestrians a head start uh, when a light changes. Um, those have been shown to reduce the incidence of crashes because motorists can, you know, when the pedestrian's already in the intersection, when they get the green light, they can see them. Um, so there's less chance of them hitting them, expanding those to more locations. There may be a few locations in the city where it makes sense to even look at all direction scramble crosswalks. Um, other cities um, have those. We have a part-time one in, in the Rainbow District, um, but perhaps you know some of those could become full-time. They do have a traffic impact because if you're allowing pedestrians to move in all directions, you're not allowing cars to move in any directions. But um, for certain um, intersections, there, there may be you know, still warranted, perhaps, and especially as we see, you know, increased development in some of those same intersections or in the future, potentially, you know, metro rail, there's, there, there may be something that we might not look at right away, but that down the line, um, we look to start implementing. Um, another thing that the city's already been doing, but we you know we recommend continuing is expanding in roadway warning lights for crosswalks that are not at signals. That's when you, you know, press a push a button and they, the crosswalk flashes to alert motorists. So continuing to expand those citywide. And even just things like refreshing striping and as we replace signals, replacing them with um, retroreflective backplates. That's um, the image there with the yellow outline on the signal. When you have inclement weather or just kind of as a motorist is going around a turn, it draws their eye to the signal sooner and they've been proven to have a modest um, reduction in um, the incidence of crashes as well as um, upgrading where we can bike lanes to protect the bike lanes as the, the council has directed us to do. Uh, next slide, please. So in addition to kind of citywide improvements, uh, we also took a look at um, where we might focus um, specific infrastructure improvements on intersections where there were high incidents of crashes in the historic data that we analyzed. Um, when we looked at the raw data, there was um, both Fountain and Melrose came up quite often. 
Um, but because those streets are already being majorly retrofitted with many safety improvements, um, you know, Melrose is completely under construction right now, and we'll have many new pedestrian safety features when it's done, and, and fountains being analyzed for a lane reduction that'll be followed by sidewalk widening and curb extensions. Um, we held them apart from our kind of priority list with the hope that this plan can identify other locations for safety improvements, but that doesn't mean that we're you know, abandoning those streets by any means. We would come back and evaluate them after those current improvements are done to see if anything else is needed. Um, but the other locations there, you can see, are largely along Santa Monica, um, Sunset, as well as one location on Robertson and, and one on Doheny that came up in the historic collision data. Um, next slide, please. Um, these, the next few slides are just summaries of the input we got from the online outreach tool, which we, we promoted in person as well. But we got over 400 comments from the community on you know, bicycle safety concerns, pedestrian safety concerns, vehicle safety concerns. And um, the, these following slides just show where those comments were along the different um, kind of key corridors. So on this one for Sunset, for example, um, we had a lot of pedestrian concerns, um, kind of you know, mid-city around Holloway and Sherbourne. Um, and fewer, fewer comments on the east side, um, but really a, a range of, of different types of comments, you know, vehicle safety concerns and others, um, as well as bicycle and pedestrian. Next slide, please. Um, Fountain Avenue, really a extremely wide mix of comments um, all over the corridor, which I think reflects what, you know, anyone that spends a lot of time walking or, or biking or driving on Fountain knows is it's, it's currently a very unsafe corridor, and, and we're aware of that, and certainly these comments reflected that, but we're, we're hopeful that the city's existing project there will um, address many of those concerns. Um, next slide, please. Um, Santa Monica Boulevard, um, lots of kind of hotspots here. Um, some of them, you know, kind of on the west side of the city around, you know, the bars, as well as, um, you know, mid-city at major intersections like Fairfax. Um, again, all kinds of, of different comments here with, you know, perhaps a heavier emphasis on um, pedestrian concerns and, and general safety concerns, but, uh, you know, nothing too surprising. Um, Next slide, please. And then Melrose, um, really two kind of peaks, one at, one at La Cienega and one um, towards Robertson on the west side. Um, but again, all, all sorts of concerns here. And, and this one's kind of a tough one because you know, we did this survey right as the construction was starting there, so I don't really know how representative it is for, for Melrose. But again, we'll be coming back to those corridors and evaluating them after the current improvements are, are done. Next slide, please. Um, so, I'm not, I don't have slides for all of the individual locations. Um, they were, they are in the packet um, where we have the full draft plan, and I can go into any of them if you'd like. But this is an example of what our re recommendations for each of the um, kind of key locations will uh, looks like in the draft plan. Um, so at Santa Monica La Brea, which was the kind of number one hotspot citywide, um, there were 43 total crashes in the, the five years of data we analyzed. Um, four of them were, were um, fatal or severe injury crashes. Um, some of them involved pedestrians, some of them fired motorcycles. Um, the, in the outreach, so in the, in the public comments, there were a lot of comments about bicycle and, and pedestrian safety concerns at this location. Um, and then here we're looking at, you know, certainly um, upgrades, you know, the retroflective backplates, those kind of simpler things, but possibly other things like um, delineators, the vertical, um, 
plastic elements along the median to prevent uh, left turns that can be hazardous in, in impacting vehicles that are traveling north-south in La Brea, as well as um, possibly installing a, a leading pedestrian interval, which is giving pedestrians the head start there. And, um, you know, some additional analysis needs to be done on the scrambles because of that traffic impact that I mentioned, but this is a location that, you know, at some time in the future may warrant that um, if, the, if, it's willing, if the council is um, uh, amenable to that trade-off in terms of the, what, what we get back to them in terms of the, the traffic impacts. Um, next slide, please. Uh, one thing that we are also including in the plan is just a um, reflection of the equity context, since we are recommending improvements around the city, kind of a best practice is to mention the, the relative need. Um, this is also something that's um, considered in many grant applications at the state level and regionally. Um, so to the extent that we can identify improvements that are needed in areas that are um, considered higher need in those indices, they, they may be eligible for outside funding. Um, so as you might expect, the east side of the city where there's more multifamily housing and, and denser areas um, come up um, more often in those sort of indices as high need, so improvements there may be able to get funding under those things. That's not to say that we wouldn't do improvements in other parts of the city, but we're um, just making the council and the community aware of the, the, those um, different characteristics, and they, those could inform future grant applications. So the, rather than kind of invent a new definition of you know what is an equity need for a plan like this, we used Metro's um, Equity Needs Index, which is kind of a, it's applied to regional projects and grant programs that Metro administers, and it's fairly similar to other statewide indices but it's, we're including it in the plan for, for each of our uh, recommended locations. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, one more. Uh, so this is where we are. Um, we had a series of workshops with the task force over the last year, as well as presentations to a number of boards and commissions. We've gone through um, the development of these draft recommendations, starting with you know, existing conditions and, and needs analysis. and. Um, we're now um, speaking to you guys today. Um, we're hoping to, ha we're gonna be out in the community in a part of a wider citywide mobility pop-up that you'll start seeing announcements soon uh, for later this month um, on November 27th. And then we hope to have a draft plan to the council on December 18th. Um, there will likely be other pop-ups um, between now and then for in-person um, outreach on this, but um, we don't have dates for those yet. Uh, on the right are just some of the kind of statewide and, and federal grant opportunities for um, you know, implementing the kind of recommendations that we have in this plan that the city might pursue, but we, we haven't made any decisions on them yet. Those are just the kind of things that um, we wanna have this plan in place in order to be eligible for. Uh, next slide, please. And that's it. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have, and um, really any feedback you have would be helpful so we can make some you know, final tweaks and include those in the presentation to the city council. Yes, um, thank you. I actually um, have two. Um, the fatality metrics, is that only for individuals in vehicles, or does that include pedestrians that are hit? You mean the, the, like the number of fatal yes, collisions? Yes, the fatalities, yes. Does it include both? Um, my understanding... It, it's both. If, if someone died as a result of the collision, it's a fatal issue. However, there is a, um, if, they, if they weren't dead on the scene, but were, uh, you know, in the hospital for a while afterwards and happened later, it may not be captured in the, in the police report that this data draws from, but in that case, it would be counted as a severe injury 
if that makes sense. But yes, a pedestrian that is hit and killed would count as a, a fatal collision. And then um, the other thing I want to mention that I think needs addressing uh, the crosswalk intersections on Fountain, I think have been amazing. Um, however, when staff gave us the speed report, uh, the east side of Fountain did not warrant um, a speed reduction, which I struggle to understand why, because I live on the east side, I walk on Fountain when I'm walking my dog, and I see vehicles gunning it when they cross La Brea and Fountain when they're traveling east because we become, it goes from a single lane to two lanes. Um, so the crosswalks that, two in particular that I can speak on, Detroit and Fountain and Formosa and Fountain, as great as they are, I don't know how effective the lighting is for vehicles and being able to see the lighting. Because I watch individuals press the button and wait for vehicles to stop. The lights are flashing in the street, but cars are still fleeting through the intersection. So is there something additional that can be added to that? I saw um, a father pushing a stroller trying to cross Fountain and vehicles just kept coming. I was amazed. And I know during the day, at night, the lighting is quite bright because it's dark. During the day, I think it is harder for vehicles to see the lighting um, because of the sun, the reflection, you know, those types of elements. So how can we improve this? So uh, a few things on that. One. Um I think you're referring to the speed survey that recently came um, where the city's recommending some reductions. Um, that was done under the existing regulations. Our hope is that after the additional um, flexibility that comes into effect in June, that we may be able to lower the speed limit on you know, the other half of Fountain as well um, without additional authority from the state. Um, in terms of um, the specific crosswalks on Fountain, um, we're in the process of redesigning Fountain right now with the Protect the Bike Lane project, which will also you know, include curb extensions and other things, so I can definitely take that back to the project team for, for those specific locations. Um, in terms of what can be done for um, crosswalks that already have um, the light-up treatment, but that, you know, that may not be sufficient, um, there is, uh, it's not done often, but they can be upgraded to full traffic signals. Um, that was done on Santa Monica Boulevard um, in several places so, uh, a few years back. Um, so that's something the city can look at. Uh, depending on the street, there's the potential for um, raised crosswalks as well. They could still have the flashers. Um, they're generally not, um, the fire department has kind of final say on what sort of um, treatments we, we put in that may you know slow their response time. So for example, like, uh, speed lumps on, on side streets typically have gaps for at the width of a fire engine's wheel so that they can continue without being slowed down by them, but regular motorists are. Um, they, ha the, they have um, accepted raised crosswalks in, in some locations, but it's, um, I don't want to promise and say that we could do that on Fountain, because uh, it is kind of a, 
location by location discretionary um, conversation with the fire prevention folks at um, county fire, uh, but it is something um, that can be can be looked at. Um, other things, you know, the city can look at curb extensions that reduce the distance that people have to cross. So perhaps the sidewalk is widened, you know, at the edges of of, of crosswalks. Um, maybe there's a parking space that's taken away on either side or something to to allow that reduced crossing distance. Um, those are probably more likely to be accepted in a corridor like Fountain than a, than a raised crosswalk would be. Um, but generally, I mean, I think Fountain, if the productive bike lane project is built, uh, which will result in a, there will no longer be a two-lane section. It'll, it'll, I mean, sorry, it'll no longer be a four-lane section. There'll only be two lanes all the way across, so that that issue you're describing where motorists speed up should be alleviated by that project anyways. But um, I'll definitely relay the, the concerns with those specific crosswalks to the project team and see if there's anything else we can include as part of that project. Yeah, and an incident did happen prior to the crosswalks being put in, but I saw my neighbor's body lying in the street covered with a sheet. I don't want to see that again. Totally understand. <laughs> right there with you. Um, Vice Chair Saltzman. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> similar to the chair, I just want to point out a couple other intersections that I don't think you mentioned and I'd like to call your attention to. They're uh, both in the Norman Triangle area where I happen to live. Um, you do talk about Doheny and Phyllis, uh, and there is now a relatively new crosswalk at Doheny and Elevado. Um, both of them, I think, warrant if, at least a flashing red light when the button is pushed. I walk there every day and cars just ignore the flashing lights that are there. Um, whether it needs to be a full stop light or not, I don't know, but uh, at least a flashing red light at Doheny and Phyllis and Doheny and Elevado. Also, um, the area of the Norma Triangle, Hilldale, uh, which is a street that has about six stop signs on it, between Santa Monica Boulevard and Cynthia. And um, by my accounting, the vast majority of people don't stop at most of those stop signs. Um, there's now a flashing light on the stop sign at Keith and Hildale, but Hildale and, and Norma, Hildale and Dix, Hildale and uh, Vista Grande, uh, you take your life in your hands if you assume someone's gonna stop at the stop sign. And I would encourage you to take a look at those. Thank you. Thank you. Will do. Um, commissioners, anyone else? Questions? Um, Mayor Raymond? Um, yes. Thank you for your presentation. Um, I just have one question. Does your statistics um, also include scooters, or is it just uh, bicycles and motorcycles and cars? So. The categories that uh, we report on in the report come directly from the statewide database, which is pulled from the um, from individual police reports, and they that that database doesn't um, include sco scooter is not a, a category that's like already built into that database. When there's an individual, if there's an individual collision that results in a police report, we can. Um, you know, we can request the actual, you know, detailed police report and, and get into, you know, was it a scooter or not, if that's um, a topic of, of interest. But it's that's not one of the overall categories that we're able to easily um, summarize. But I know we do collect into, uh, data on collisions 
um, and on, on scooters uh, generally as, as part of the, the scooter project, but not in the police report data that this is based off of. Because I would love to know how many you know, fatalities or how many serious injuries have been involved with a vehicle either hitting a scooter or a scooter hitting a vehicle or a scooter hitting a pedestrian. Uh, is there any way to get that data uh, so we can see what that number looks like? I can follow up with my colleague um, who, who handles the, the scooter program for the city and, and see what data we have available. And we can certainly um, work with Danny to, to get that information to you. But I, I, I will caution, I think it's more limited than what we have on these other categories. Thank you. Commissioner Nickel. Thank you, Chair. David, thank you for the presentation. Um, following up on Commissioner Aramian's question, I was surprised, too, that there wasn't more information about e-scooters. Um, in this, uh, um, I will point out, I did want to uh, say that it actually did say, you did make mention of scooters at one point where it says that those riding scooters may not be fully experienced and familiar with the vehicle operations. Additionally, some electronic scooters can travel at speeds faster than typical pedestrian and bicycle travel. Because of these factors, crashes involving scooters have the potential to result in serious injuries or fatalities. Are we talking about the riders of the scooters or the pedestrians into which they would run? That was just a characterization of the, you know, the, the environment of someone riding a scooter, the, the nature of the, um, the lended scooter model. Um, potentially, they could result in either. Yeah. Okay. Um, as you say, there's not that two tons of protection around a scooter or a bicyclist or a pedestrian as there is for somebody in a car. Um, your presentation makes it clear that pedestrians are the most vulnerable people on the streets. So I'm really glad that as part of what we're looking at on Fountain, it is widening sidewalks. I think some of the portions there are not ADA compliant even at this point. So that that's certainly something that needs to be looked at. Um, the, the most dangerous intersection being Santa Monica and La Brea does not shock me at all. I think the, what do you call it, the scramble? The scramble idea is a really good idea there. Uh, the one at, over by UCLA Medical Center in Westwood, it, if you're a pedestrian, it gives you a lot more options. And if you're a driver, it forces your awareness to have people walking in all sorts of ways around you. So. I think it would certainly be something that, that I hope is looked at a lot more closely. Um, and um, also circles, the, the circles. There are several in residential areas, like over at Detroit and Formosa. I think they're really helpful. I think that we should look at more of them at different intersections in the city, like at Spalding and Norton in residential areas, uh, because people do Things get busy on Santa Monica, they get busy on Fountain, they come into our residential areas, and if they can, they can go pretty fast along there. That can slow things down, as well as speed bumps, which we have in certain parts of the city. Um, I think those were um, the main things I had. Thank you very much. Um, before we move on to public comments, um, I just had another question. Um, at Orange and Santa Monica near Whole Foods, and then further west between, let's say, La Cienega and San Vicente. There 
overhead crossing intersections. And I notice they seem to be more effective than the lights that are embed in the streets. I think we're just more geared, obviously, because of traffic lights to look up. People don't seem to understand that there are lights in the street. So I'm just curious, is there a way to explore why in certain areas those types of crossing lights were implemented and not in others, like, for example, at Green Acre in Santa Monica where Whole Foods is? It's in bed in the streets, but I believe an above headlight would be far more beneficial. So I, I can totally picture what you're saying, and I, I think the answer is that our, our public works team has been um, kind of experimenting with these over time. So the, the latest ones that they're installing are kind of a, you could look at it as like a yes and approach. They're both the, the in-roadway um, lights, but also vertical lights on, on poles. Um, so, for example, I believe they just did an upgrade um, to the one on, either they just did or are about to do one on Crescent Heights um, that incorporates both. Um, so, looking forward, I think that's their current model. Um, if there's, you know, uh, But I'm not talking about vertical, I'm talking about across the intersection, lights. At Orange and at several of the other streets, when you're traveling west on La Cienega, the lights go across the street. Like on a, on a mast arm you're talking yes. about? Yes. Understood. Um, I'm not sure why they use those versus um, the posts on the sign, but I can I can certainly ask and get back to you. Um, it may have to do with the the size of the street, you know, Santa Monica versus Crescent Heights, it's a larger. Yeah, street. but they did it at Orange in Santa Monica, but they didn't do it at Greenacre in Santa Monica. So it's not making sense to me. And yeah, I understand you might want to try different things, but I'm not one that's big on experimenting with public safety. And um, the traffic circles, as Commissioner Nichols mentioned, are great. However, we seem to have a misunderstanding when vehicles are traveling through that when there's a stop sign, a stop sign means stop. You know, and again, going back to European cities, traffic circles are typically larger. So you don't have stop signs. The vehicle in the intersection has the right of way but our circles are much smaller, so we need stop signs. So I think we need to figure out an effective way to get vehicles to stop because they don't stop on Formosa, they don't stop on Detroit, and these are residential areas. You know, people live there. And we don't have enough traffic cops to sit and sight on a regular basis. I wish we did because um, when the deputy is out there, um, he's busy. Um, thank you for that feedback. Definitely agree that it's a it's a problem that people don't stop. And one on our list is actually to um, work with the the sheriff department and and look at you know what are the enforcement options that are that are available to complement the, the infrastructure recommendations of this plan. Um, some of the things we're already thinking about are, are meeting with them more regularly, specifically on on Vision Zero and how the implementation is going, so we can uh, adjust over time. Um, but that's, that's certainly something we can bring to them, is, is what are our options for, for stop enforcement. Okay, great, thank you. Um, Commissioner Secretary, do we have a public comment on this agenda item? Yes, we do have one public comment. Kevin Burton, if you want to approach the podium. Good evening, I'm Kevin Burton, resident of West Hollywood. And just to 
respond to Commissioner Nichols' question at the recent council discussion of the scooter program. Data was provided showing that there were a total of three collisions between pedestrians and scooters since its inception. And, I, to, and the, the three reports to the Sheriff's Department, and at least one involved an injury that's out of about 500,000 rides, three total. So they're not very common. I just wanted to uh, thank staff for all their work on the Vision Zero program. It's a, a very comprehensive and well-written plan. Uh, there are a few points that need attention, and these are just to quickly go over page Roman numeral four, table of contents. There is a, an, a, a listing at page 27 and then the next page is 14. I think it's a duplicate should be de deleted. On page 32, uh, location two, Santa Monica Boulevard and Crescent Heights. Uh, it's, the line begins with install bicycle detection, but bicycle detection is mentioned nowhere in the report. I think that's a mistake in that line on page 30. To, I do recommend that the report mention bicycle detection and what that means is traffic signals detect bicycles in the same way they detect vehicles which at most intersections is not the case in the city uh, the bike can wait there till the cows come home and it'll never change in which case they just give up and go through the red light It'd be better to have bicycle detection and fairer um, and finally, on the maps from public feedback for the priority corridors, there aren't enough of the cross streets actually shown on those maps corresponding to the peaks of public comments. Uh, like there are a lot of comments at King's Road, and I know there are issues there, and King's Road isn't shown. Likewise, on Fountain Avenue, there is a big spike. I think it's at Poinsettia, the signal there. I'm not sure because the road is not shown. Please add more of those at every spike in those maps. Uh, a couple of general suggestions, and these are points that are already uh, made in the report, but I think should be emphasized. I, too, uh, very much like the pedestrian scrambles, and I think the considerations of traffic flow should definitely be secondary to pedestrian and bicycle safety. And uh, I would like to see at least different phases for pedestrians, which includes bikes, because bikes can move with pedestrians, and vehicles at every major intersection on Santa Monica Boulevard, including La Brea, Fairfax, Crescent Heights, La Cienega, um, San Vicente, and Robertson. All of those should have those. Robertson has in the evening now and some nights. Um, there, for Commissioner's information, this Wednesday, Transportation Commission will be discussing installation of a pedestrian scramble at La Brea Avenue. So if you want to find out more, uh, attend the Transportation Commission, and I hope those discussions expand to these other intersections. Well, finally, I think that um, the speed should be reduced on all arterials from 35, currently on several arterials, to 30 miles per hour, once the city has the legal authority to do so in June. And these changes would, by reducing speed, would reduce severity of crashes, as David mentioned earlier, and that is the primary focus of any Vision Zero plan. I'm sorry, your your time is up. We we did and we had it up on the screen. Thank you. Then, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's my period. Sure. Thanks. You. Um, before we move on, 
Commissioner Nichols, did you have a question on this item? Oh, no, I just wanted to, there was one other thing I wanted to add is distracted driving. Um, I don't know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of data as far as what caused the fatal accidents, what caused the serious injury accidents, but I do notice that even now, people are on their phones constantly when they're driving, even when they're walking, people will walk into an intersection without even looking up from their phone right in front of cars, which is, is not good. So it might make sense for the city to do some sort of public awareness campaign about that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, moving on to item 8B, the Public Safety Commission will receive an update regarding the city's local hazard mitigation plan. And just a reminder to all commissioners, including myself, um, at the end of the presentations, we should stick to questions, and then at the end of the meeting, we will have time for our individual commissioner comments. Good evening. Well, good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, Commissioners, and member of the public. I would like to first and foremost thank you all for having us this evening and for all that you do for city staff and our community. My name is Margarita Kostanovich, and I am the Emergency Management Coordinator for the City of West Hollywood. Across from us is Director Rivas, who has continuously provided great support in the success of the Local Hazard Mitigation Plan. I hope you all read it, all of, over 100 pages. Um, the city's community safety department is working with Jacob Green and Associates to complete an updated version of the plan on focusing on furthering the actions needed to reduce the impact of local and global hazards impacting the city and reaffirm that West Hollywood as a vibrant, sustainable, and resilient city for current and future generations. Jacob Green Associate is a comprehensive local government consultant firm with a particular focus on serving Southern California communities in emergency management and planning. Uh, next to me is Raymond Chung, Director of Emergency Management. Raymond is an international association of emergency managers, certified emergency manager. <laughs> it's a long, long one. <laughs> and has uh, 20 years of experience working in um, municipality and emergency management, all for um, Southern California cities and counties. And we have also Patrick Marshman, project manager of this plan, who will be on Zoom this evening. Um, thank you for joining us, Patrick. I know it's midnight over there, so thank you. Uh, Patrick has over 20 years of experience in environmental climate adaptation and hazard mitigation planning. Um, also worked for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, um, as a hazard uh, mitigation planner. So we are here this evening just to update you all tonight on the development of the actual plan. Um, and the actual plan is intended to serve as a guide for community to, re uh, to reduce adverse impact from natural and human caused uh, hazards. So in our presentation, we will explain what this plan is about, uh, the purpose of this plan, and why it's so important for the city to stay in compliance every five years. Uh, Patrick, are you on the line? Uh, yes, I am. 
Oh, perfect. The floor is yours. Okay. Well, uh, thank you all so much for your time. Um, I'll try to be uh, I'll try to be efficient with my comments. This is meant to be an introduction to the status of the plan. I'll start out with the discussion, and my colleague um, Ray will take over later on in the presentation. So, um, next slide, please. Uh, next slide. Great. So, uh, what is hazard mitigation planning? So, um, hazard mitigation planning, or as it is known in most of the rest of the world um, by the slightly more descriptive name, disaster risk reduction, um, is intended to reduce uh, the loss of life and property by minimizing the impact of disasters. These are generally um, larger scale events, um, usually from natural hazards, floods, fires, earthquakes, can also be from non-natural causes as well. Um, it begins with lo state, lo tribal, and local governments identifying disaster risks and vulnerabilities that are common in their individual areas. Um, these plans are never one size fits all. Um, they can be informed by what happens in neighboring communities, but they're intended to be really focused on the jurisdiction for which they are developed. So what is the purpose of the plan? So um, first bullet point is uh, access to FEMA uh, funding programs. So this is, this is important. Uh, FEMA has uh, several large pots of money. Um, you may have heard of some of them, the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities Program, the BRIC Program. Um, to access these uh, programs, a jurisdiction must have an approved hazard mitigation plan in effect in the adoption process. And um, also uh, um, an action being applied for the funding needs to be um, mentioned in an approved hazard mitigation plan in the mitigation options section. Uh, also another, another purpose of this is to increase education and awareness on natural hazards and community vulnerabilities. Um, it's not meant to just be a plan, but it's meant to, again, um, sort of build community awareness so the community can effectively uh, react and respond. Uh, to build partnerships with organizations, businesses, and the public. Um, ideally, plans uh, go beyond simply a government um, exercise and try to build um, relationships um, to the various parts of the uh, community. And finally, uh, to identify long-term strategies for risk reduction um, with input from stakeholders and the public. So as I mentioned before, um, plans must be updated every five years to remain current and for cities to retain eligibility for the FEMA funding programs I just mentioned. Next slide, please. Thank you. Um, so uh, just a quick overview of West Hollywood's LHMP history. The uh, first LHMP for West Hollywood was written in 2004, shortly after the passing of um, the Stafford Act, the Disaster Management Act of 2000. Um, there were updates in 2010, 2015, 2018. Um, the current plan is expiring um, uh, this month, November uh, 2023. Each LHMP update uh, included steady improvements in depth and detail, um, especially in the descriptions of hazards and of actions to reduce their impacts. Um, this just should be expected, um, you know, as time goes on from the first plan or nobody really knew what was going to go into one of these plans. Uh, the city was very effective in sort of building on each additional iteration of the plan. Uh, the firm I'm, I'm working with, Jacob Green and Associates, was retained in February 2023 to um, do a new update of the plan, do a sort of thorough revision. Um, and one of the reasons is because uh, 
there have been a lot of events in the in the world in the past few years, and also on FEMA policy updates. We're all aware of COVID nineteen, of um, lots of uh, issues of socially and um, environmentally as well. And uh, FEMA has um, also, in response to this, um, promulgated new uh, local mitigation planning um, guidance. So um, this new policy guide was effective April nineteenth of twenty twenty three this year. So. Um, the new guide uh, has a heavy emphasis on climate impacts and adaptation. All plans must take into account climate change and what to do about it. Um, they're also looking for more of a um, treatment and equity and a look at disadvantaged populations as well. And um, one other thing that we, we're doing is uh, looking more into um, human-caused hazards as well. Um, that's something we heard loud and clear in our interviews um, throughout the city government um, that uh, there was a lot of concern about um, uh, uh, certain certain events, and we also uh, certain uh, we also looked at um, sort of a second order events from um, from extreme heat and such such as power outages, which by themselves the severity of them by raised um, them up to the status of a kind of a standalone hazard to be examined. So, Ray, do you want to take the next few slides? Yes, uh, thank you, Patrick. So. Uh, good evening, uh, Chair Hallman, uh, Vice Chair Saltzman, Honorable Commissioners. Uh, this slide is discussing or goes into more detail the development process that we've uh, gone through over the past uh, eight months or so. Um, I do want to take a moment to uh, commend uh, the Community Safety Department, uh, Director Rivas, Ms. Kostanovich. Uh, FEMA does not have an overly prescriptive process for how they want the the uh, plan development process to work. Um, but uh, Director Rivas and Ms. Kustanovich did direct us to ensure that a very comprehensive, very robust process, including uh, very thorough um, community input was uh, undergone for this, uh, for this uh, plan update for the city of West Hollywood. So this details some of that. Uh, we started in the spring with city departments uh, as well as external agencies really looking at uh, a holistic view of the hazards that may affect the city. Um, we then went into a meeting in May looking at what we call the hazard vulnerability assessment process that goes into much more detail on individual hazards um, and the risk associated with, with them, um, especially looking at the severity, frequency, of uh, those disasters, especially, um, you know, looking at climate change and drought and heat emergencies and things like that, how they may increase into the future is very, very important. Um, so we received input uh, from the city departments uh, on that for uh, prioritization of those hazards. And then we went out to the public to get more community feedback. Uh, the plan's only as good as the input that we received. So this part was very, very important. Uh, for us as, uh, as well as for the, uh, for the city. So we did uh, community outreach meetings uh, at, um, uh, at the ARC, that was an in-person meeting uh, paired with uh, surveys uh, for all the attendees of that meeting that was both uh, for quantitative as well as qualitative purposes to receive feedback. Uh, we also did a virtual meeting uh, in July, uh, basically for the, the same purpose um, as the in-person, just to capture more feedback from the public who weren't able to attend in person. Um, this August, we finished the comments, uh, taking in all the input from city staff and the public, um, submitted that to the city. 
for review, did some additional few drafts to um, ensure all those, uh, all that feedback was incorporated, and we submitted the uh, low-cost communication plan to uh, Cal OES for review uh, in late September. And here we are today uh, presenting to this body for uh, additional comments um, and uh, recommendation to the city council next week for um, plan approval. Uh, next slide, please. And this is just a brief slide that uh, talks about uh, the different um, uh, engagement events we held uh, throughout the year, uh, who, how many people attended, and the number of uh, comments we received back. Um, generally speaking, uh, hazard mitigation plan uh, public meetings uh, are not the most exciting meetings. So, you know, the city definitely put a lot of emphasis on getting the word out there to get folks to come over. And this is actually definitely one of the better attended meetings, uh, public meetings and uh, uh, public feedback that we typically uh, receive. So, you know, a great job to the city staff for, for um, uh, getting us there. Uh, so the, through the two, the two public meetings, uh, we had 15 attendees for the in-person, uh, seven virtual. Uh, we also did a survey out to, um, out to the public via the city website, um, as well as when we, we did it during the public meeting. So we received a total of 30 uh, responses to that survey. We also posted the, um, the draft plan on the city website for review and for um, uh, public comments as well uh, for, for a two-week period in September. And we received three additional comments uh, from that comment period, which were incorporated into the plan. And I'll turn it back to Ms. Kustanovich. Thank you, Wayne Patrick. So in conclusion, pretty much, uh, we'd like to mention it, the hazard mitigation plan uh, provide an opportunity to access funding for specified action to mitigation hazard identified in that plan, which include wildfire, earthquake, extreme heat and rainfall, flooding, high wind, drought, terrorism, um, hazard material incidents. So for us to remain an approved, plans must be updated every five years. Um, and the purpose of public meeting, survey, community outreach, was to allow community members to provide input to the city's hazard mitigation plan, and also ensuring that the public input and experiences are included in the final draft. So, thank you all for having us. We're open for any questions, recommendations. Um, commissioners, do we have any questions? <laughs> Commissioner Blau. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, oh, actually, questions? Um, no. But thank you. All right, Commissioner Freiberg. Hello, thank you for your presentation. I just have a quick question. So if we need to evacuate, let's say for a fire, how do I know where to go? How do our residents know where to go? Especially if they have mobility issues. For our evacuation, we actually have an emergency response plan that's currently on the city's website. Um, and that's a separate uh, project from the hazard mitigation one. But I'm happy to share, we're actually working on the emergency response plan currently. And uh, Chair Ta uh, Commissioner, I mean, Chair Hallman was part of that um, project with me. So hopefully we'll have that out for you as well soon. Yeah, because I mean, 
if a fire happens right now, mm -hmm. it's going to go to the website and try to figure out what to do. You know, they're going to want to know maybe ahead of time. So it's about how to communicate to the residents, you know, what to do in case of emergency. I mean, is there a plan for that? Yeah, that would be the place to look into, but I can definitely provide something on the next meeting. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioners, any other questions? Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any questions? Oh, there you are. Sorry about that. Commissioner Nichol. Thank you, Chair Holman. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, and the public meetings you did, I, I remember that we attended one way back in June, I believe. Um, so, uh, actually, I had that same question about awareness and also for disabled residents and um, and older adults, uh, in case of emergency, for them, for the most vulnerable residents, is there something provided to, as far as transportation, by the city to help people get out of the city if they were to need to, or to get to safety? I can definitely look into that. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, one thing that keeps coming up, cyber attacks are a big concern for me. Um, but one of the things that, uh, as far as an earthquake or, or any of these major things, is the need to have power. You mentioned at some point that even uh, the people helping to run the city after a disaster, that how much time are they going to have charged on their phones and things? How many generators? I'm, you, at some point in the, in the 122 pages, you do mention that there is a generator, but you seem to say that the city doesn't have that many. Are there plans for the city to have more? And is it possible to have solar generators, which are better for the environment? And you also mentioned that we have an abundance of sun. We do actually have generators as backup. And I will definitely look into the solar one. That's great. a great suggestion. And um, as far as uh, uh, stockpiling, do we stockpile PPE? I mean, we all remember the scramble when suddenly the world even needed to learn what that means. Uh, does the city now, looking forward to another potential pandemic, are we stockpiling things like this? Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add uh, the pre your previous question, uh, Commissioner Nichol, that uh, in, in the back of the plan in the uh, mitigation strategy section, there are a lot of projects that have to do with generators and battery backup and a uh, concept called resiliency centers for residents to come in and uh, charge their devices. So, you know, even if there are certain resources that uh, the city does not yet have, this plan is a vehicle to potentially get funding for those. And there's There's over 120 different uh, little projects uh, like that within the plan and um, you know the city can uh, within their annual update could always add uh, additional as well. Great. Something like this does force you to consider the worst and then work backwards so that's really good. Another thing that you mentioned in here is the possibility of with all of the new construction and the development doing something to encourage those developers to Add in backup generators, and of course, add green spaces to seal to 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 roofs and 
and for people to have, because it, it, it cools, if suddenly you have no electricity and there's a heat wave, it's good to have trees around because they're cooling. So um, I think those were the, the main things that I had questions about. It was a lot of work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Commissioners, any additional questions? Uh, Commission Secretary, do we have a comment in chambers on this item? Yes, we do. Kevin Burton, if you Great, want thank to you. approach the podium. Good evening again. I'm Kevin Burton, resident of West Hollywood and co-founder of WeHo Research. CERT refers to Community Emergency Response Team. And this is training offered by the County Fire Department most every year with the exception of the pandemic. And we are all trainees and most of us multiple time trainees in emergency response uh, to assist our neighbors and our family should that be necessary prior to the arrival of emergency services. And I want to thank staff for a, a very comprehensive plan. It's well written and they've been very responsive to public comment and adding to the list of little projects that was referred to at the end of the report. Uh, that is appreciated very much. And I just wanted to comment too, I love Commissioner Nichols' suggestion of solar generators, because what's going to happen is something like an earthquake, you're not going to have fuel deliveries. You won't have power at gas stations. You won't get fuel for your generators. You should definitely have solar generators, so that's superb, I think. Um, I just wanted to comment on three categories, and I'm paying attention to the timer this time. Um, one is transportation. Again, if it's a big earthquake, the roads will be blocked. You won't get fuel in. If you have a vehicle, you won't be able to drive in many areas. What are you or the emergency services going to do? And there should be plans. And initially, the initial drafts didn't say anything about transportation. Now, and this is a good response to my suggestion, is that if you look at response disasters around the world, what do you see in blocked roads? No fuel. People are on bikes with big bags on the bikes, with backpacks, emergency services. And I would strongly advise the fire department, unfortunately, they left. I don't think they have any alternative plan. I think they're totally unprepared if that happens. I know the sheriff's department has a bike team. I think you have some bikes at the station. So if you could not drive your cruisers, what are you gonna do? You can use the bikes, at least you'll have something. You can lift the bike up over debris. So I think that's very important to emphasize in this plan. Secondly, extreme heat. A lot of rentals have no air conditioning. The landlords won't allow air conditioning to be installed. There's no insulation in the upper floors, and that's a very serious matter, and that should be required, is the um, insulation. And I think those are my suggestions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if there are no additional questions from the commission, uh, thank you. I personally know how hard you work on these plans, and I know how taxing they are, so um, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming in.
Thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, item nine, item from staff. Are there any updates from staff this evening? Um, yes, thank you, uh, Chair and uh, Vice Chair and members of the Public Safety Commission, Danny Rivas, Director of Community Safety for the City. Keep it very brief. Um, I know our uh, fire department uh, partners um, had to leave, but I know our West Hollywood Sheriff Station representatives and block-by-block uh, -block representative um, are still here, and so I just wanted to, to echo the sentiment of the commission and thank them as well um, for all of their um, collective efforts and hard work um, during Halloween. Um, as uh, been reported, it, it was a very successful um, event. Um, we also had our, our city uh, code enforcement team and a number of other uh, divisions uh, and departments uh, that worked collaboratively together um, to make uh, the event what it was. And so there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, uh, but from a public safety perspective um, and from all fronts, I'm not taking away or discounting uh, anybody's hard work because uh, there was a lot that went into it. But uh, from a public safety perspective, it certainly went um, extremely well and we heard a lot of positive uh, input and feedback, um, very minimal um, incidents that, that did occur from a law enforcement perspective. Um, and yes, there were calls to the fire department, but again, it, it was um, very manageable. Um, and so, you know, we look forward to, uh, to next year, uh, but before next Halloween, of course, we have pride. Um, and I know that uh, that is gonna start uh, beginning in terms of the planning phase uh, regarding that, which will be right around the corner. Um, I do also wanna make mention um, that, uh, you know, with the holiday season um, that we're in and, um, you know, with uh, festivities and whatnot uh, just around the corner, um, our West Hollywood Sheriff Station is also um, implementing an increased presence. And so we are uh, communicating there is uh, a holiday plan, if you will, um, that is going to be incorporated um, as it relates to adding some additional uh, patrols, uh, foot patrols, but units as well um, out and about in our uh, most uh, visited areas uh, just to provide uh, a heightened level of uh, presence as well as from our block by block team uh, as well. And so I wanted to make mention of that. Um, I also wanted to touch on, I know there were, um, uh, a number of, of questions uh, regarding vacant properties. Um, and so in the, in the interim in between uh, items, I did communicate with our neighborhood and business safety manager that oversees our code enforcement department, um, did make mention of all the vacant properties um, that were referenced today, as well as the construction site. And, and all of those um, uh, properties are gonna be followed up on um, and I'll be provided with uh, some updates and background. Um, I am familiar with the 1280 Sweetser property uh, as one of the members of the community had mentioned, um, that is an ongoing uh, case that is currently in litigation. Um, it, it is going through what's called a receivership. Um, and so that's a heightened level of action, civil action that the city is actually taking. And so it has been in the courts uh, for quite some time, but anytime that there are calls for service, um, you know, there is a re quick response that is a priority call. Um, I know the teams are also um, doing as much as they can in terms of doing uh, spot checks 
um, as well as our code enforcement staff. Um, and so hopefully we're gonna get um, some resolution uh, quickly um, as it relates to that, as things have progressed for us um, in, in the court uh, system. I can't get into detail, but I just wanted to make mention that there are obviously some of the properties referenced that have to go through a process, but we are certainly aware of them. Um, and then uh, lastly, I, I just wanted to make mention, um, as I was going on uh, the website um, in terms of you know complaints and uh, accommodations, et cetera, and so I just wanted to walk through the commission and, and members of the public as well in terms of how to access this information. Um, I did not see a recent quarterly report yet that's been released, um, but it looks like at least half of the year um, broken down into quarter uh, reports has been provided. And so just give me a second here and I want to share the screen. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of uh, go back to um, doing, oh, not that one. Let me go back in the screen here. I wanted to take everybody back until how I got to where I got. And let's see if this will do it, yes. So you can see I just typed in the Google search engine on the internet, um, LASD Civilian Oversight Commission. Um, it's you know uh, pulling up their specific uh, website for the county of Los Angeles. So I'm clicking um, on that. Um, and now I am just gonna scroll down and as I'm on the Civilian Oversight Commission's webpage, home webpage, I just scroll just a tad and you can see it says file accommodation or a complaint. So I'm just gonna click on that. And up right, we have publications. So I'm clicking on that. And now this is taking me to uh, Sheriff's Department, Probation Department, we're interested in the Sheriff's Department. So here I am clicking on this. And then you have quarterly reports, all reports. So I just clicked on quarterly reports. And here is where you're seeing those quarterly reports that I was just uh, mentioning. Um, so you have January to March of this year, and you have the most current that they have reflected right now is April to June. So I do not see um, July through September that's been released yet. But as soon as that does, um, then we'll make sure to uh, provide that um, uh, to the commission. Um, I know that was a number of clicks. Um, and so what we'll look at doing is kind of copying and pasting, right, this hyperlink up on top um, and seeing if there's somewhere on our webpage, um, on the city's webpage under our uh, sheriff's department kind of subpage that we could apply that. Um, and make it very easy, right, for folks to kind of click on that and it would take them to, uh, to these reports um, and then also the link to where folks can provide accommodation um, and or complaint. So I just wanted to walk uh, the commission through that and members of the public and, and with that, that concludes my comments. Great, thank you, Director Rivas. Um, commission Secretary, do we have any additional public comments? No additional public comments at this time. Great, thank you. Uh, commissioner comments or items from commissioners. Does anyone have anything? All right, Commissioner Aramian. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, so I just wanna say we finished our Sheriff's Department Community Academy 
Um, I cannot say what a great experience that was. Um, I highly encourage everyone who hadn't had an opportunity to take that to sign up for it when it comes around next year. Uh, you learn so much about the ins and outs of our Sheriff's Department, um, and it's a great learning experience for, I think, everyone. Um, Halloween, uh, great Halloween. It was great to see Halloween back uh, in West Hollywood again, uh, seeing the streets full, the businesses busy. Uh, I want to thank the Sheriff's Department again, block by block, and the Fire Department for, for keeping us safe during that time. Um, this was also, I believe, a very special Halloween for West Hollywood because it was the very first uh, time that we had a cannabis event here, I believe, in West Hollywood, correct? So that was the nation's first. Um, and I hear it was a great success with zero uh, incidents. Um, so hopefully that will return next year as well. Um, and it's the holiday season, so I want to wish everyone here a th happy Thanksgiving and a happy holidays in the upcoming uh, months. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Ramian. Um, any other commissioner comments? Commissioner Nickel. Thank you, Chair. Um, I graduated uh, also from the West Hollywood Community Police Academy. Thanks again um, for all the speakers and, and the teachers. It was a really great experience. I completed the American Red Cross CPR and uh, first aid and AED course. And I did a uh, walk along with Captain Wendy, Gold Wendy Goldman of the Cynthia Sunset Northwest Watch Group. And I want all of the watch groups and residential associations to know that I am absolutely available uh, to attend any of their meetings or to do a walkabout around their community to see the issues that they're dealing with. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Nichols. Um, Vice Chair Saltzman. Thank you. Uh, just two things. I continue to be on the advisory board of this new organization, the acronym for which is LA COPS. It's a new organization designed to provide assistance to LGBTQ employees of the Sheriff's Department, the LAPD, and all the other law enforcement agencies in LA County. Uh, and they are now have uh, existing and beginning to produce materials and workshops. Um, I also serving on the Sheriff's LGBTQ Advisory Task Force and currently the focus is on issues in the jails and the task force is going to visit the jails. That's my report. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, any other commissioner comments? Um, then I will be brief. I also attended the Sheriff's Academy. Uh, thank you to our Sheriff's Department. I thought um, it was well executed. Um, I especially enjoyed watching our canine units perform the drug-sniffing dog, um, as well as the bomb-sniffing dog. Um, they work very hard, and it was fascinating watching that. And in reference to what we do here in the city, um, Halloween and Pride, these are large-scale activations. And, you know, when they say it takes a village, it takes more than a village to pull these off successfully as well as safely. So I would like to once again acknowledge our Sheriff's Department, code compliance, and they're out walking the streets during these events as well as block by block and staff. Everyone works very hard 
so we can have a great time and enjoy these different activations. So your efforts are greatly appreciated, and thank you. Um, if there is nothing else, uh, it's 9.30. This is one of our longer meetings, but get used to it. They're going to be um, basically this time. At, now that we're a fully seated body, we're going to be getting into um, more important things that we need to focus on as a commission. So with that being said, we are adjourned until December 11th at 6 p.m. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everyone, and be safe.